3: Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96FM.
4: Hang on, where is everything? What what do I do? What do I do now? This bit? Oh, hello! How how are you? How are you? How are you? Good morning. (laughs) Oh, God, I hope I remember how to do all this. 1850-715-996, the number to call. The text to WhatsApp, 083-396-9696. The email, opinion, at 96fm.ie. Back at base, back in Studio One after a few weeks at home in Studio 1.5. But all started, all good to go again. Like I said, I just hope that I remember what buttons to push and when to push them. We've got lots coming up today, including the woman from Cork, who has been a friend of Michael Jackson's all of most of her life and has now written a book about her friendship with michael jackson and has some very very strong views on the things that people said about michael jackson in more recent years that's to come a little bit after 10 o'clock but also i want your views this morning on quarantine and what you think about quarantine i ran A Twitter poll over the weekend on my Twitter, and thanks to hundreds of people who retweeted it for me to get a bigger sample size. And a massive vote in favour of mandatory hotel quarantine. Just on my Twitter, and it's not scientific, I know, but it's 6,166 individual people took the time to vote in the poll, and 91% of them were in favour of some form of mandatory hotel quarantine. A lot of people are arguing about the north. A lot of people are arguing about New Zealand. And could you do this? And could you do that? And you really can't. And you really can. And you really this. You really that. I wasn't interested in that old nonsense. I wanted to know what people thought. Should we have some kind of mandatory quarantine on entry into Ireland? And one of the reasons I did the poll was not just because of the interests in the subject in the media over the weekend and the fact that the government looked like they'll be dragged kicking and screaming into some kind of a quarantine system, but because we'd had an email from Debbie Cashman. Hi Debbie, good morning to you. How are you? I'm not too bad. How long have you been living in Australia?
5: Uh, I was in for the last 10 years.
4: Nice, okay. Now you're home at the moment with your, with your three kids, you've taken them out of school, um, how come you've come home?
5: Uh, my dad's terminally ill with cancer, so I just wanted to come back and spend a bit of time on him while
4: we can. Okay, I'm sorry to hear that. Now talk to me about the operation to get your children and yourself out of Perth and home.
5: <laughs> um, well, to leave Western Australia you have to apply for an exemption to be allowed get out because... They basically shut the borders. So once you're in, you're in. Once you're out, you're out kind of thing. So, um, and that's how they've controlled the coronavirus. So you have to apply for an exemption. So you have to have a, you know, a bloody good reason to leave. And um, so, uh, because of uh, compassionate grounds, they let me out and, but they won't let me back in for three months. So my, a part of my one was that, um, you can go, but you're not going back for three months. Obviously, because of Ireland's rates being all over the shop, that they, I would be a risk. Um, yeah. for that kind of thing so they're probably hoping that we get our act together get the vaccines rolled out and that kind of thing really you know I suppose they're just protecting themselves which is fair yeah. enough
4: so, so whether or not you actually wanted to stay for three months you have to stay for three months and then when you go back will you have to do two weeks in a hotel?
5: I will I'll have to do two weeks in a hotel quarantine with three kids I, <laughs> I'm trying to not be able to help you but um, but at the same time, I fully accept that, and I know that's that's the way that was. You know, that's the way it's done. And any um, coronavirus that we've had in Western Australia has been in hotel quarantine. So we say the the last time I checked, I think there was about five coronavirus cases in Western Australia, and they're all in hotel quarantine, so they've all been imported for a regular term. In uh, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's uh, there's no community transmission there. It's all controlled by. Then bringing people in, locking them in a hotel room for two weeks, you get your food delivered to you, Uh, you can do your exercise by jumping on the bed or whatever you want to be doing, and it's just that you're locked in there for the two weeks, and as I say now with three small kids, uh, it'll be an interesting time for me, and it's at your own expense as well, so um, one good thing I think is it'll keep the hotels themselves operating, because they're 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 getting money out of it, I suppose, and... uh, yeah, it's just, it, and it's a massive control measure, which I've agreed with from day one, I think, well, do what you've got to do to keep the people safe, because I know the economy is important, but also the health of the people there, and what's in Australia's economy, thankfully, is, yeah. is tipping away, and my husband's over there working away, and he's also from Cork, so it's, um, I'm glad that, it's, that they're doing it the way they're doing it. Yeah,
4: what, what, now compare that. To coming home to Ireland, having gotten your permit and signed all your terms and conditions, and agreed with the government there in, in, in Western Australia to do what they want you, you wanted or they wanted you to do, you get off a plane in Dublin. Um,
5: yeah, you. I came in through um, Dublin, and um, you had to just fill out a locator form and say kind of say where you'll be staying and that kind of thing, and. Um, not that anybody has checked in the last couple of weeks, but um it's you just fill out this form and they they send you a text to say, "Is that where you're staying?" and you just say, "Yeah and uh, that's pretty much it, but I mean, you can hop off the plane and go wherever you like, whereas well, on the other end i'll be when I land i 'll be you know frog marched onto a bus by... Um, either the cops or the army or whoever's managing them then, and I'll be brought straight to the hotel. There's no room for error, you know, whereas here, once you're at the airport, it's like, good luck there, don't you, you know? It's um, it's kind of up to you to do the right thing.
4: And did anybody check that you were at the address you said you'd be at?
5: No, I, I got some text, um, through, uh, some gov text, uh, just to say, is this the address you're staying at? And I just replied, yes, but there was no... Phone call. There's nobody that knocked on the door, kind of thing. There was no one to actually check that I was stayed in that house for those uh, for the couple of weeks after I landed. How did you?
4: What, how did you react to that? What, like co- comparing to what you'd come from and what life. Which I'll ta- I'll ask you about that in a minute. Life in Perth is like as a result to what yes. we have here, comparing well, one against the other. What did you?
5: Yeah. Think? Well, it, here it, it's a bit of you know, Because I was listening to the radio there other day and I was like. No wonder the place is, is all over. The, you know, no wonder the cases are so high. There's no real um, hard measures besides forcing everybody else in, into a lockdown. It'd be a lot easier just to force people coming in into a lockdown, more so force the whole country into a lockdown. You know, so I kind of thought, well, no wonder they're kind of floundering around the place trying to um, sort things out, and you know, and it's ten months later, or whatever, and it's just it's um, it, time to really just pull out the stops and get their act together, kind of thing. I mean. Um, you know, I, I suppose for people to be able to come in and, and do what they want, you know, it, it's it's not good enough anymore, you know what I mean? Especially with the debt rates and all that. I mean, if my dad got, I'd be absolutely terrified. And, you know, and obviously people are going into the hospital and there's no one there to say goodbye to them except people dressed in spacesuits. And it must be so, so strong for the family, let alone the poor person who's on tubes and all that inside there, you know? I just think it could be done a lot better.
4: What do you think should be happening? Like, would you have been... Okay, with going from Dublin Airport to a hotel for two weeks with your children. I know you. It, it's it's a daunting prospect, and that you're prepared to do when you go back. But would you have been willing to do it on the way?
5: Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, it's it's the right thing to do. It's it's what people should be doing. You know, and I, like it is, it is a big expense and it is an inconvenience. But it's a lot better than than the result that is Ireland today. You know, it's um, you know, for the sake of a bit of PR, and, Neil know, Martin was on about, you know, we have to get permission from Europe yeah. and this kind of I, mean, I don't think you do. It's your state. You run it the way it needs to be run, kind of thing. So I don't think Europe can... You know, I think he's just trying to keep trade going as best he can. But, I mean, trade still happens in Western Australia. Just anybody that has to cross a border... Has to have a, a valid reason for it. If, if they're bringing food, or you know, what it, or medical supplies, or whatever it is that they're bringing in, and they, they have their own work permits and things like that, it's controlled properly. Just put these measures in place, and the country can operate. You know, safely. You,
4: you might have been exempt on, say, compassionate grounds, given the reason for your journey here. But at the yeah. same time, you'd have been okay if you weren't.
5: Um, well, I would have accepted that. I mean, at the it's. For the general good of, of health of the people, which has to be put over everything else, you know? So, mm. um, and even like for me, we flew Perth, Doha, Doha, Dublin, and like, even like Perth, thankfully, is fine and we were fine coming out. Um, but I wasn't required. I was trying to get tested before we came because it was all very last minute. But I, and they were saying, no, no, you don't even need to have a test. And I was like, what do you mean I don't need to have a test on? Surely I should be negative on a land. And they were like, no, nah, you don't need it. So that baffled me as well. Too. They
4: brought that in last week, I think.
2: Yeah. yeah,
5: yeah, yeah. They just brought it in. But I kind of thought, you know, how come it's only been brought in now? And they were like, oh, no, only if you were from England or South Africa, that you have to have a, ta-? you know, this was a couple of weeks back. But um, I just thought that was, again, yeah. kind of a bit close in the gate after horses and bolted kind of um,
4: and, and coming through Doha, what, what kind of um, a process was that?
5: Um, Well, it's just, you go through a transit area, so I was just, you know, the poor kids are badgered by me, like, you're not touching anything, don't touch anything, and I got them a bit of food and I kind of fed them and they couldn't, I was just cleaning constantly, I was um, yeah, it was like Monica with a friend who so just couldn't move and it was cleaning, cleaning, cleaning and the hand sanitizers. Because I was just, that, to me, that was my fear. That that was the only way we'd actually really get it is people, you know, because obviously you're in a hub there and there's people coming from other parts of the planet. So that was my fear. But the planes were quite empty. So we had loads of space on the planes, yeah. which was good. But at the same time, it, it to me, that was a risk. So I actually did a... Um, a COVID test um, once I was here about a week I did a test and it obviously came back negative and I was just so I could put other people at ease when I did start meeting people and that, that, you that know, even though I have travelled I've done the test I'm okay we've come from a, a good place anyway kind of thing and I've taken every precaution I can blah 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 you know that mm. kind of way so that was um, my only concern was the actual transit area
4: Now talk to me about the, the, the payback as it were for the harsh restrictions in in Western Australia, like, what's day-to-day life like now in Perth for you, for the kids, for your husband?
5: Um, it's absolutely normal. There's no restrictions. There's, uh, the first time I wore a face mask was hopping on the plane coming out here. Um, you don't have to wear a face mask going to the shops. Everything is open. You can go to the cinema. You can go bowling. You can go to kids' fun centres. You can go wherever you like. It's 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 fine. And the tourism is flying it because of all the Western Australians. People that are holidaying in, you know, they're all, they're all these staycation things are keeping all the tourism spots going, and the government are running, um, you know, they're doing all these kind of um, promotional stuff within, you know, just to make people aware of what they have on the doorstep. And mm. so people are they're doing the little holidays. And, and you know, and And, to be and if you wanted to really go into a
4: neighboring state, say, Debbie, I, I read a piece, yeah. I think it was ABC News website there over the weekend, yeah. going into the detail of each state and each region it's very de- it's very very nuanced isn't it like you you really yeah. need to have your wits about you to go from do, state to and, state
5: and yeah they change the gold all the time so generally unless you're really 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 have to, you wouldn't bother because um before i left now there was people they had opened the borders between south australia and I think it was New South Wales and because they had finally gotten their virus cases way down and, and all that kind of thing. So but then there was um, someone came in from Melbourne into South Australia. So there was plane loads of people coming in and the Premier of Western Australia said, right, that's it. We're shutting the border uh, effective immediately. Um, anybody coming in now has to quarantine for two weeks. So these people, they were showing that they were on the plane and the pilot announced that um, Very sorry, but when you land, you're going to have to go straight into Hotel Target. Hang on, they were on the plane.
4: The rules changed while they were on the plane and were effective. And they were effective when they hit the ground.
5: Yeah, so they were frog-marched off to the hotel going, nah, there's been an in, in where you've come from and that's it, you're going to a hotel for two weeks, you don't like it, you can hop on the next thing out of here, kind of thing, so they had to go into if they wanted to get into us, like so like that the, the goalposts change all the time and they're not afraid to make the harsh decisions they're not afraid to be inconvenient to people's plans, That it's just so some people had, like unfortunately it happened just before Christmas, so some people did have to spend Christmas in hotel quarantine when they were initially coming over to spend time with family, but that's how serious they take it, that's how adamant they are to keep it out of the community and they haven't had any community spread in a long time, like at the moment I think there's five cases and they're all in hotels and it's all managed really. But the, the reward
4: the, the is what you've described to me, that life is as close to normal as it can get.
5: Oh, it's perfect. Our kids. Well, my kids are still on uh, summer holidays and such um, yeah. and they'll go back in, in February, well, mine will miss the first term or so, but... Um, you know the the rest of the the rest of the place will go back on and, and start of February and uh, life is normal and you know most people got their jobs back and anybody that was um, had had conditions that were immunocompromised already they done all these things where they released um, courses that people could do um, if it, we say if you were working with the public all along and you had if you're an asthmatic or whatever it might have been and so they they uh, help you retrain they would pay for seventy two percent of the course and you could retrain into in something else that is not dealing with the public all the time or that kind of thing. If you found that the whole thing was just because they're looking after people's mental health as well. Um, so they, they're putting these things out. They're going, OK, if you're not comfortable in that situation anymore, we'll help We train you and you can go off into you know, more of an admin or an office job with not as many people and that kind of thing, which I thought was really good that they're not looking after the physical health but also the mental health of the general population over there.
4: That, that's absolutely Phenomenal, it, it it really is. And comparing it then to to your homeland, how does it make you feel that that we seem to be so behind the curve here? It's
5: just frustrating because I mean these like you know the, the man that's running the place is Mark McGowan. It's an Irish name, so <laughs> we should be to pull, pull this one off as well. It's um, there's no real reason that we can't, you know, put a hard border up. I mean, Western Australia, if it was a country, if it's ten tenth biggest in the world, it's a fairly massive chunk of land. So, I mean, we're on about the border between us and Northern Ireland. I mean, I'm sure everybody in Northern Ireland wants to be as safe as we want to be, you know. So, we're all protecting each other in that sense. Um, So, I'm sure it could be managed a lot better. you know, there's not mm. as much land to protect and we're, we're lucky in the sense that we're an island, so mm. to get here from abroad, you have to come on a plane or a boat, and then, you know, I, I just think it could be done...
4: Do you know the way they say... Like, what's what's, what's your neighbouring state there now, Debbie, in Western Australia? Forgive me, I don't know the geography too well. What's your neighbouring state? Uh,
5: South Australia. Is the, there th- in, um, the
4: nearest one to you, say?
5: South Australia. South
4: Australia. Okay. So, <laughs> what the argument will be made is, well, South Australia and... Uh, Western Australia, sure that's still Australia. Whereas our border is going from the Republic of Ireland into Northern Ireland, which is into the UK and effectively out of the EU. So, yeah. do you take the argument at all that you're not comparing like with like?
5: No, I think that if you have a border to protect, then you do what you have to do to protect it. All
4: right, Debbie. I hope that um, I hope that you have time with your dad, plenty of time with your with your dad
5: thank you very much
4: and, and that when you do have to go back it'll be safe
5: oh I, I, it will be when I go back to Australia I know that'll be safe it's just here I just I really just hope they
4: do you feel nervous going around here then?
5: yeah well I'm not used to the whole face mask and you know if, if, I, top, if I have to touch a shopping trolley and I, like wipe down every surface on the outside just in case by accident I pull the front of it and if I'm looking at something which I know I do and just these things that I, I, I overthink everything now, but Again, I if I'm going to be visiting people that are in no shape to to become infected by anything, it's uh, I have to be extra careful. So it's just um, retrain my, myself to to act like everyone and everything has an infection kind of thing, you know, so, yeah. and, I, and the kids don't get brought anywhere really because, you know, they, 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 well, one, it's easy because everything's closed. But how how old are, are they, by the way? How old's um, the my, my smallest is three, so he right. touches everything, you know, and I saw yeah. a fellow in, in Dunn the other day, he was about similar age, and he was sitting in the shopping trolley and he was licking the handle of the shopping trolley and I thought, oh, good God, <laughs> and I was just so happy, my eldest was 13 and a half, so I just pop out to grab a few bits and yeah, so she's able to keep an eye on them in the house. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's not do, too bad.
4: Do, do they? Your your little fella obviously doesn't get the idea of restrictions at all. What about uh, your no, older guy?
5: Yeah, no, the, the older two because it's the ten and, 13 and a half so they understand. Because when it first broke out, it uh, was, was in March across the world. They did um, go to school for two weeks, um, and then that led into the Easter school holidays, and then they kind of had everything sorted out by then, and then it was back into. Normal-ish. Then after that, so it was, um, it was fine. But they they had a little taste of it, but n- none of those face mask kind of thing. We, you know, I was even struggling to buy them in Australia to uh, mm. to to have for coming over here and that kind of thing.
4: And when you did have to have lockdown in Perth, how hard was it?
5: Oh, um, it was. Yeah, they just shut everything. They said, right, we're going to do. Everything for a couple of weeks, and get because there was a few um, cases in the community, mm. and they just had to get that, get them people sorted, get them either better and uh, or hospitalised, and know exactly who they have, and, and all these popping test test centres popped up everywhere, so you could just go in. Nobody had to pay for a test. There's none of these private testing things. It was just to like get in, get tested, because obviously they don't want money to be a factor of anyone's getting tested. And, um, yeah, so they just seemed to catch it really quick and know what they had to deal with um, and organise their hospitals. They had some sections of, um, that would be COVID sections of the hospital, so they weren't mixing with other sections of the hospital yeah. and this kind of carry on. So you didn't go through the main, um, you know, in the main area and then potentially affect people in there and, and hospital staff and all that kind of thing. So
4: And lastly, yeah. before I let you go, we're, we're supposed to be in lockdown now and this lockdown, such as we have it, is to be extended for another few weeks at least but compare one with the other straight question Debbie is this a real lockdown?
5: Nothing. what I'm saying no
4: no alright Debbie listen as I say I wish you dad well and and I hope you have a, a safe stay here uh, take care and thank you very much
5: no other thanks thank you very
4: much. bye cheers that's Debbie Cashman 1850 uh, 996 just comparing the two first of all Ireland's economy shrank dramatically in 2020 the australian economy grew all right there's one comparison and ireland has a death rate from covid of 598 per million of population australia has 35 35 so later in the week we'll catch up with our friend in queensland uh, Dr Niall Conway, uh, Conway we'll, we'll catch up with Niall uh, later in the week. Um, he and his missus have had a new babby, so he's, he's going to make time for us in, in the most busy of schedules. And we'll catch him on the show later in the week uh, about comparing one with the other. And let's try to put the lie to this nonsense argument that you're not comparing like with like. Of course you are. You just need to adapt it to your own situation.
3: 1850-715-996 The Opinion Line On Quartz 96 FM With Lehan
1: Motors Leading the way for Toyota Hybrids The place to order your 211 Toyota See lehanmotors.ie
3: The Takeover On
2: Quartz 96 FM Weeknights from 7 on the big drive home We give you the chance to take charge of our tunes Join me, Lorraine, as you decide what songs we fire off.
6: I'll
7: singing la-la-la-la Watermelon sugar
3: Takeover. You pick what we play.
2: See our song list on 96FM Insta Stories.
3: This is Court's Gold Imro award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
2: Text or WhatsApp now 0833
4: On Court's 96FM. Just on the back of speaking with Debbie there, let us look at the numbers. We do them on a Monday and on a Friday on the program. Uh, They can change dramatically over the weekend, which is why we do them on both Monday and Friday. And We've been focusing on them now constantly for about six months. So I think most people have a fair idea of how we calculate them and how we do. What we do is we go to the official hub, the official COVID-19 hub, and then that runs up to about two days ago. And what we then do is we take the official release in the evening from Neffet of the daily numbers and we, we, we accumulate them that way and we give you the 14 day figure for Cork city and county and we've been doing that now for for quite some time for example today is the 25th of January and our 14 day figure for cork cases is 3612 for the last 14 days in cork 3612 which gives us a per 100k population figure of 722 which I may tell you is well down. Last week, this time last week, we had 7,906 new cases. And the week before, we'd had 7,897 cases in the previous two weeks. So we've had a good dip, to be fair, over the last uh, week, which is good to see it going in the right direction. Now, on December 25th, Christmas Day, which is a month ago today, going by date. We had 772 was our 14-day figure, and that's 154 per per hundred k. So that's a month ago. So that's a hell of a lot. That's like a fifth of what we now have today. And and we had many, many. We had ten times that a week and a half ago. It's a huge drop, but it's nowhere near where we want to be. Let's go back, for example, to the 25th of July. Which is what six months? Let's go back to the 25th of July. Our 14 day figure across Cork was 17. 17 cases. Our 14 day figure. But go back again to the 25th of June. And I double checked this and treble checked this, and I can't be right, but I am. On the 25th of June, which is what seven months ago today, that way, our 14 day caseload. Cork City and County was what? Two. Two cases. So we're still in an awful lot of trouble even though things have started to to turn a little bit. I want to talk to Dr. Angela Flynn uh, who's a nursing lecturer at UCC but uh, Angela you've gone and put your hand up and said listen I'm going back into the ICUs. You were an ICU nurse before you went into the academic field And you're going back in onto the front line. Good morning to you.
8: Good morning, PJ. How are you doing?
4: Good. Why have you decided to do this?
8: Well, I suppose um, I have been an ICU nurse in the past. And uh, while I've been lecturing for a long time now, um, the more we were hearing from our colleagues in nursing, the more we were seeing on the media about the extent to which the ICUs were becoming uh, overwhelmed, I, suppose I I honestly couldn't um, I couldn't sit on my hands much longer not that I didn't have plenty to be doing we're very very busy in UCC we're trying to continue with all our programs online and supporting all our students and of course our students our nursing students who are under particular pressures but um, I, I just felt that I had to do something Um the surge this time is so much more uh, serious than the previous surge I had helped out at the first surge um, but it's so different this time, PJ, jeepers, you know, um, like even the age range of the patients um, is much younger um, and they, our nursing colleagues are just exhausted and I felt, um, you know, once you're a nurse, you're always a nurse mm. and I just felt the need to, to go and help out.
3: And uh, I see you
4: nurse of course, is, is a specialty within itself. I'm mean, interested in the well, comparison you made. Yeah. the first The first wave... You, you you volunteered to go, par- go back, I think, very early on.
8: I did. I mean, initially I was doing a bit of the contact tracing um, just uh, sort of late March, April. Um, and then the CUH were establishing sort of a uh, COVID-19 volunteer status. So there was a little bit of a, a lag there while they were sorting out a contract for me because you can't have... Uh, you couldn't have people just wandering in, um and rightly so and I had to do a little bit of reorientation as well. So but to be honest, by the time I got that all sorted, um, the the first surge really hadn't, you know, was more or less over. Um, so I went back to marking exam papers and, and supporting our students and doing everything else. Um, but, but really, this time is very different. Um, but the important thing to know, PG, is that we actually went into this crisis with fewer ICU beds than we should have. Yes. Um, and of course, we all know when we're talking about beds, we're not talking about physical beds. We're talking about the staff and the backup and the resources to keep them yeah. um I mean, tell me a
4: little bit about that, um, yeah. Angela. Like they say that, a, yeah, a bed is not just a bed. It's not just exactly. a thing with four 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 legs and a mattress. It's yes. it's far more than that. So, yeah. if what would be the average for one ICU bed to operate at full pelt, how many staff does that require?
8: Well, you see, you need several because um, you can't you. For a start, you've got the ratio of of nursing to patients, which should be at least one-to-one, if not more. You need runners on the unit who are uh, getting equipment. You need the backup of anesthesiology and you need um, medics. You need uh, all the support staff, the labs. So the more ICU beds that you open, the more resources you need backing up uh, behind that. Um, But you're, I mean, you could... You would probably have experts that could tell you about that a little bit more. But one thing is really obvious is that when we went into this crisis, we had six to 6.5 ICU beds per 100,000 population, right? That's what we had. The European average is 11.5. Germany has 38.7 ICU beds per 100,000 population. Wow. We knew We knew we were way behind on this. Long time ago, there was an audit done back in 2018 by the National Office of Clinical Audit, and they showed that we had, like, our bed occupancy. So they talk about ICU in terms of, like, you always want to have a buffer of ICU space available to any hospital. So they recommend that you never have sort of big occupancy the um, European Society of Intensive Care, for example, they recommend about 75% bed occupancy so that you've always got that space. And in in 2018, long before COVID, we were operating at between 88 and 96% bed occupancy. So we knew a long time ago we didn't have enough uh, ICU yeah. beds. And, and ICU beds, I mean, obviously staff. And it's great that there are people that are putting themselves forward and, and helping out where they can. But we're not, you know, you can't replace permanent, really expert critical care staff mm. with uh, short-term stop gaps.
4: Be- because these are the most highly experienced and specialised people in the nursing staff of the hospital, correct? Right? Correct.
8: Well, look, every discipline of nursing is specialised. Every single one of ah, them yeah. and every yeah. single one has special skills. But ICU is daunting and a lot, of, um, a lot of people find it very intimidating and challenging. You've got the sickest patients there
4: yeah. for sure. Now, um, c- c- compare, you, you mentioned earlier on there a comparison. I want to explore that a little bit. The people that you're seeing now, they're younger, yeah. they're sicker, and what we hear is that they're spending an awful long time even when they're stabilised and they're going to make it, it's still taking them an awful long time to be well enough to get out again.
8: Mm. And it may even take them even longer to... Feel back to normal afterwards, and from what we're hearing about the evidence around long COVID yeah. and um, and the impact. No, it's it's very significant. Um, and you know, at the same time, it's it's a bit disheartening for the staff. You know, they're working so hard. I mean, I am doing the odd shift, but for people doing this as their regular job, they are exhausted. And then for the odd moment, you get to look out the window up on the fifth floor of the of the CUH, yeah. you look out the window and you see cars coming and going and you see the shopping centre busy and it does not look anything like a level five lockdown should look like. Yeah. Um, and that's really soul-destroying for the people that are working and sweating and boy, do you sweat in that PPE. Um, it's very tough. So I'm, I suppose I'm using this chance now, PJ, to just... Absolutely uh, implore people to stay at home, wash your hands, open your windows. We know now that the ventilation issue is really important. This is an airborne virus. To take all the public health messages on board and really respect Level 5. COVID has no respect for people or their ages, so we have to uh, respect Level 5. The nurses are are really exhausted and they they need you to do that for them. Mm.
4: There are those who are still... Desperately cynical about the whole thing. Um, I've often said to them that I'd love for someone like you to take them by the hand and show them. And show them what would they see, Angela?
8: Well, they'd see uh, desperately uh, sad situations of of individual after individual uh, on ventilators. Um, uh, unconscious, having all their body uh, supported in different ways, um, having their nutritional needs supported, uh, in some cases needing dialysis for their kidneys, um, and needing every single bit of care from head to toe by, by superb caring nurses, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, it's incredible to think that there are still some people that don't uh, don't engage in that. But look,
4: and know, Alan, please not... put the lie to one thing for me. This is no uh, flu.
8: Oh God, no, absolutely not, cheapers, no, no, no. Um, this is completely different, and uh, you know, there is a lot of discoveries happening all the time and i suppose i don't want to be too negative we yeah. have got we have got the, the vaccines yes um, and we have better
4: medicine now don't we we have strong medicine that we know it'll stabilize you so we still we have better chances now when we yeah. go fighting don't we
8: exactly um but i suppose the big uh, worry always is that we can only um do that fight for a certain amount of people at a time and yeah. we are you know we have a, a finite number of icu beds and uh, if if we don't get the level of transmission that's going on in the community down, we will reach the point where we go beyond the surge capacity of uh, the ICUs around the country. So,
4: Can you explain that term? Because it's become pretty mainstream in the last few days. Like, what is surge capacity? So is that kind of, I have, for argument's sake, 30 beds in my ICU and I have another 10 I can use? Or is that oversimplifying it?
8: Um, well... It's not my specialist area of expertise and there are superb managers up and down the hospitals who are working on this. um, But I gather what uh, surge involves is using spaces that aren't originally designed to be ICU beds. So we're talking about rooms uh, and spaces beyond, for example, in operating theatre recovery areas, Mm. using those as ICU spaces. So this is, you know, this is not ideal environment. Uh, to be looking after critically ill patients. Um, Many of whom are
4: younger now as well.
8: Yeah, and if we need to do it, we can do it, but um, uh, yeah, you you don't want that. So the the way people, people are often saying, how can I help? What can I do to help? And what people can do to help is stay at home and wash their hands and take all the precautions and take it really, really seriously.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Finally, people are uh, asking me some questions. Here's one from Mary that I've just chosen for you. People are now very fearful of airborne infection, droplets. Mm-hmm. Can you explain to us, Doctor, how dangerous that is, that is in, in the scheme of things?
8: Um, Well, I know it is airborne and the fact that it's airborne is being discovered more recently than than was thought previously. So there will be some on droplets that will fall to the surface and fall onto uh, surfaces that you can wipe clean. But there will always be a fine mist that will be airborne. So that means that we need to be very careful about ventilation. So it means that when we're on... Public transport. If you have to go on public transport for an essential journey, the windows should be open. If you're in a car, and if you're in um, an area that's shared, so that's why the ventilation is is critically important. And my colleague in UCC, Professor John Wenger, has done not a lot of work on this, and I'm sure he'd be happy to we, talk to you we, about we it. We know John.
4: We've spoken to him many times. He's yeah, spoken
8: to him exactly. Yeah. So um, it just means that it's that bit more difficult to control. Okay. Um, so it does mean that the ventilation and outdoor spaces are are that bit uh, more more useful for us.
4: Okay. Well, listen, Angela. Thank you for everything that you do, and and for everything that, your, that no. your colleagues do.
8: And um, our colleagues, and um, and just just think of uh, what you can do to help uh, our, our nurses and staff in in the hospitals by by following all the
4: advice exactly. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's Dr. Angela Flynn, a nursing lecturer at UCC, but gone back onto the front line uh, to help. Her colleagues in ICU, eighteen fifty seven one five nine. The ICU numbers are not actually out yet for this morning. They were quite high last evening. They're starting to level off a little bit, but still way, way too high. And as and as uh, Dr. Flynn says, uh, they're so they're still way, way higher than they need to be. And we just don't have the, if you want, we don't have the capacity uh, for them at the moment. And again, there's another observation on this supposed lockdown. And it is a supposed lockdown. I have an observation of my own, which I'll give you two, actually, which I'll give you one of in a minute. But she said, if you're up there on the fifth floor of CUH and you're trying to save people's lives in ICU, and then you look out the window and you see the shopping centre or you see busy traffic on the roads, What's that's not a lockdown. And I passed a farmer's market on Saturday. Now, to be fair to the organisers, I will not say which farm mar- markers, farmer's market this was because I'm told, having looked into it, that they're all like this. A farmer's market that I passed on Saturday, lads, it was like a beehive. That's all I can say, like a beehive. Now, farmers markets were closed down in the first lockdown. Why are they open this time? Why are they open this time? They're places where people gather. Why are they open? Why are, why are so many of the places that were closed in the first lockdown open in this one? I must compile a list because I think it's, unfortunately, it's a very long list. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. John and Cove. I saw that uh, thing in the business news this morning. All right, that some of Ireland's wealthiest people are billionaires. We have a few. Uh, they have seen their wealth go up by I th- something like a combined two billion uh, since all of this began. Um, John says the wealthiest people in the country have had their bank accounts rocketing since COVID nineteen. We're all on lockdown. But Micheál Martin and his cronies are going around the world for Paddy's Day. Are we really all in this together? Who's fooling who? Well, I, I've said this over the weekend at home, and I'm saying it out here now, and I'll stand over it, and I'll stand face to face or talk on the phone to the man himself. If Mihal Martin goes to the White House on St. Patrick's Day, he is a disgrace. You need to pull out, Mike Micheál. It needs to not happen. You need to do... Your meeting with Joe Biden on Skype. Do it on Skype. Let us all see it. Show it. Put it on television. But do not go to the White House on St. Patrick's Day. And if he does, then it's a disgrace. 1850 715
3: 996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the
1: way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Let me show you what it's all
3: about Simon Murdoch and the best music mix
1: Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96 FM Want the best tunes in Cork? I got them for you every afternoon All the big names are here Like Dermot Kennedy, what can I play for you?
9: I want songs that are so pretty and pleasant
1: That's easy, sorted for you Be here in the afternoons for the best music mix Competitions, all the latest trends online And the best crack to get you through your day
3: Let me show you what it's all about. Send me out. Simon Murdoch, midday to 4 p.m. on Corks 96 FM. This is Corks, Gold Imro award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call
2: us now, 1850
3: 715 996. On Corks 96 FM.
4: Yeah, some more comments there. It was an extra, yeah, I got, I got that one. It just said of said the news, if workers are not allowed to work from home to get on to their trade unions, this is a typical remark from those in charge. They don't live in the real world. Most small company workers don't have a trade union, and if they put pressure on their boss, they'd be threatened, as we have with job losses, and told everyone can be done without, and it's easy to get someone else to do the job. That's a disgraceful attitude from any boss, but it's a very widespread one. I I think I said last week, in the midst of all of the palaver about uh, teachers and special needs assistance and special needs education, I said something and, and I stand absolutely over it. I wish every worker in the country, from the person behind the counter in their local shop to the person at the very top of the tree, I wish every worker in the country had a union as vocal and as determined as the teachers do. You might not agree with what they're fighting for, and that's okay. But they're fighting for it. Every worker in the country should have a union like the ASTI or the INTO or the TUI. You want to argue that trust with me? I'm ready I'm ready for you. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Now, uh, there's a lot of vandalism going on. You'll see it as you go around. It's kind of a quiet thing. Um, sort of posters, you know, COVID-19 posters, and they're sprayed over with LBS BS like hoax and con job and all this kind of nonsense. It would get on your wick, actually, after a while. There was a mural vandalised, uh, quite a nice one as well, This the Hold Firm hashtag, which is what we're being encouraged to do, you know, hold firm, stick with the plan, stick with the programme, yes it's tiring, yes it's hard, yes it's boring but we need to stick with it and get ourselves all through it. That's been vandalised Councillor Kieran McCarthy. Kieran, good morning to you.
7: Yeah, morning PJ, how are you doing?
4: Good, nice little mural and nasty job done.
7: Um, Yeah, I've been commissioning um, a few murals and working with Kevin O'Brien artists the last Two years, and we decided to do one on uh, just holding firm. And we're just doing it in the background. I mean, not looking for publicity, uh, really. I mean, I'm just ticking away in my local area and just cleaning up some uh, uh, whole scale graffiti on some of our uh, traffic switch boxes and broadband boxes, uh, more so than ESP boxes. So, yeah, and we I, I commissioned one which is based on one that Kevin did outside the CUH. Um, and oh. was, which was another kind of whole firm one. So he did one for me opposite the gates of uh, St. Finbar's Hospital. And he did a really, really good job on it.
4: Mm. And what, what was done to it?
7: Oh, there was a poster put up going reward 10,000 euros if you can figure out what this scam is about. And then there was this marker put on both sides of the box. I mean, it's fixable. Um... But, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of disappointing. I mean, there's actually probably no reference on the box to COVID. It's actually just a, a thank you very much to the staff across the road. Yeah. Because um, we're, well, it's, well, very, like St. Finbarr's Hospital, which is across the road from where I live, it's a fantastic complex. And it's been, they've been developing a lot of community services there as well the last few years. And I've been kind of hosting walking tours over the years as well across the campus and the old Cork Union Workhouse and staff and doctors and nurses have been on it. And uh, they just a great community. And it's just yeah. my not to go, look, thanks.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 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 history of St. Finbars is fascinating. You can fill a whole morning talking about it in itself. But it must be a bit soul destroying though to see that kind of mindless stuff. Like what kind of what what kind of a?
7: Yeah, I'd say look, it's it's frustrating. But you know, I was kind of half expecting an attack. There's a lot of. Bad vibes out there on social media, people being attacked for their views on COVID or um, if you've got real concerns all of a sudden on social media, you're attacked because you've got real concerns on COVID. Um, and so, I mean, yeah, it's manifesting itself in people writing scam up in boxes as well across the yeah. city.
4: And, um, can, can it be fixed, by the way, Karen?
7: Yeah, yeah, it just needs to be touched up and repainted. In fairness, Kevin actually has been on to me. Um, As I say, I've worked with Kevin, this is my sixth project with him, um, and they're not all on um, holding firm, they're on different history topics as well, linked to Banlock and Black Rock and elements like that. Um, So just cleaning up the boxes. Yeah, look, I'm I'm frustrated, but look, it's fixable, and it's not going to hold me back. I'm going to I'm gonna we gonna repaint it and get you, going on it
4: again. You're gonna hold firm as it was. Kieran, leave it there. Thanks very much. That's Councillor Kieran McCarthy, uh, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Here's a good one. Actually, there's another email we got in. Um, PJ, while there was food shopping on Saturday, I was struck by the number of two or more adults per shopping trolley in the shop. Is this really necessary? It was prohibited in the first lockdown unless there was a medical or other valid reason. For two adults per trolley. To me this behaviour obviously creates a greater number of people in the shop point one. Point two increases everyone's time in the shop as it's slower to get around due to social distancing and three it increases the number of people out and about in the area. The consequence is increased social contact at a time when we're being urged to reduce all contact with others. Why doesn't the government or the supermarkets themselves introduce a policy of one person, one trolley, as was done in the first lockdown? Thank you for a great show. You say it straight without waffle or flannel. Thank you very much for that. Uh, yes, you're absolutely right. I remember the first lockdown. It was one person per trolley, which meant that there were queues outside, outside the shops. And I remember very one, one night being behind a young couple in the queue and he was arguing why they should both be allowed to go in on the trolley something about her being pregnant now she didn't look any more pregnant than I do but at the same time and the guy at the door said I'm sorry it's one person per trolley she can take another trolley and go in behind you that's fine but she is not going on that trolley with you and you're not going on that trolley with her them's the rules dude that was pretty much the tone of the conversation and I thought fair play to you but all those rules are gone now
3: the Opinion
4: Line with PJ Coogan on Corks 96FM. is the number to call. The text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96FM.ie. Twitter at Opinion Line 96 Of course, the hashtag is OL96. And we have the Corks 96FM Facebook page. You can message us there. But please mark your messages for the attention of The Opinion Line. If you missed anything from our first hour this morning, do not forget that the podcast goes up in mid-afternoon. The whole show usually ready in around 2, maybe 3 o'clock, depending on how quickly we can get it all turned over and done for you. But podcast goes up in the afternoon. We put it up first You see the link on Twitter, and then it goes to all the various platforms, including the Cork's 96FM app. So you can catch up on any part of the show that you might have missed. I am looking at this message that came in. Is it a text or what? Um, It's a text, is it? I, I wonder how the author of this text is allowed out on their own without adult supervision. But anyway, cases have risen since more people are wearing masks. And more people have died since the vaccine came in. Explain that. Dear Jesus People, people in Holland Had enough of lockdown And curfew And took to the street And rioted And they will be next here Why not? Why? 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 The people in Holland Were told Be home by nine o'clock They were given A nine o'clock curfew Everything is closed Where do you want to be After nine o'clock? Same here I'd have no problem None That ever was With a curfew uh, in, in Cork, right? There's, there's nothing to be out for at after nine o'clock at night. Cop on us, mob. And as for this question about uh, more people have died since the vaccine came in, explain that. They were dying before the vaccine. They're not vaccinated. Oh, Lord. Sometimes I wonder why I even bother. 1850, I agree 100% about the White House visit. I saw a quote over the weekend that he has to maintain the tradition. I was fuming. Most of us have paused all of our traditions for the past 10 months out of respect for others. Gillian, totally right, and I'm going to say it here again, and I'll say it to his face if I have to. Um, If Micheál Martin goes to the White House this year, then he is leaving everybody down. Have your meeting with Joe Biden. Absolutely have your meeting with Joe Biden. Joe Biden is very proud of his Irish roots and a meeting with the Taoiseach absolutely fine, great but do it on Skype do it on Zoom, do it on some platform they've got a thing that they use in, in governments in, in, in just secure platforms do it on a digital platform have your meeting with, with President Biden by all means on St. Patrick's Day but do not under any circumstances go over there it's just not the, it's the wrong message to send out to be going over there Eighteen fifty seven one five nine. If anybody else, by the way, wants to disagree with me on that, that's fine. Uh, but no, uh Micheál Martin needs to cop on, on that one now and not go over to uh to President Biden. Do it on do it on Zoom. Do it on Skype. Traffic in Middleton on Friday, just the same as this time last year. Grid locked. There's no lockdown there. IPJ, you're right, it's not level five. They haven't got the guards to cover the whole city and have checkpoints in the wrong places. When I was going to work, I'd barely see a car on the street, only lorries last time. Food shops were the only places left open. We have to go back to one person doing shopping. I live out in Watergrass Hill, and the forest is packed with people. Yes, here's what... Tara, I said I'd be trying to compile a list of stuff that's open this time, that was closed the last time. And one of them, you're right, Tara, is playgrounds, skate parks and all other parks should be closed. They were closed in the first lockdown. They're always jointed. And parents and kids don't social distance or don't wear masks. The playgrounds are open. Shut them. Shut them down. The parks are open. Shut them. Shut them down. I'm sorry, this is not... Leisure time, go and walk around the block. We have a problem here. And you can't trust people to just walk socially distanced around the park. You can't trust them. Go and look at the state of the marina again at the weekend. Rammers, absolutely ramjam at the weekend again. teams. oh, here we go. Uh, John says I think Ireland has unique input and access to the most powerful country in the world we'd be crazy to risk it by not turning up this year it can be done safely with quarantine and so on Joe Biden will remember those who turned up for the first few months of a hard won election ah John go away out of that Joe Biden so, so Michal Martin is going to go to America and spend two weeks in a hotel before he goes to see Joe Biden they can do it on Skype it's very important, absolutely very important but it's still only a meeting they can have it on Skype 1850 going to change the subject for a while Um, new book has come out called A Real Life Fairy Tale Michael Jackson and Me it's a memoir I always struggle with that word It's, it's a book 285 pages written by an Irish Michael Jackson fan Talitha Linehan uh, she describes her life following Michael Jackson as a performer and then meeting him many times, becoming, she describes herself, a close friend of his, spending time with him whenever she could and effectively being with him uh, many, many times and spending almost every day of his trial, his court case, uh, behind him in court. That was, such was her level of support for Michael Jackson. Uh, Talitha Linehan is from Cork, in fact, from North Cork, and we've been catching up. Talitha, from Boherbui, but living in the States, I think since 2005, you said, how did you first get to meet Michael? Like, where did it happen? Who set it up?
10: Um, Okay, well, the first time I saw Michael was um, at his Dangerous concert in 92. And then it was 96, four years later. I went to uh, the first history concert in Prague. And the following summer, I followed the whole tour. So I went to, um, not the whole tour, but I followed uh, the tour for a period of over a month. I went to 16 concerts. And so that was really where I evolved from a fan into a follower. And so a follower was a fan who traveled the world to see Michael. So anytime we heard he was going to make a public appearance, be that an award show or another event, we would just drop everything and go. So that could be London, New York, Los Angeles, DC, Berlin, wherever. So that really defined my time around Michael in the early 2000s. Mm. With Michael, he had a really special relationship with his fans, and he would come to recognize us very quickly. He was really good with faces, so anytime he would see us um, around his hotel, or around these events, or when he was out and about, he would stop and say hi, he would acknowledge us. If he was in his car, he would roll down his windows to talk to us. So it was relatively easy to meet him in that context. And the first time I met him was in May 2000. And it was actually his bodyguard who um, brought me to see him. His bodyguard recognized me from the tour. Hmm. And so when he saw me and my friend, he um, just like thought us over to meet Michael. So that was in London. Yeah. yeah. That was my first time. And after that, I just, I would meet him on every trip I went to. I would travel to see him maybe three, four or five times a year. And I would meet him often, you know, several times a day. It was usually really brief. Yeah. Um, And just saying hi. He would always, like he was very affectionate, very tactile. You know, he would like take my hand, tell him, Tell me he loved me, how happy he was to see me. It was always really sweet and wonderful. Yeah.
4: like wh- why, why do you think that you two yeah. clicked? I mean, like it was an, un- an unlikely friendship. I mean, your, your your background's totally different. What was it that you had in common, do you think?
10: Um, I'm not sure it was a matter of what we had in common. I mean, he was just super sweet and super open. And, you know, I was just a fan who went to him with nothing to offer, but the love in my heart. And same with every other fan who went to him and just Michael being Michael, he embraced us all like literally and metaphorically and just invited us into his world Um, the most amazing experience i had in those early years so early 2000s was in september 2003 i was with a small group of fans we were outside the gates of neverland so fans would just go there and hang out and hope for a chance to see him as he came and went well on that day he came out on his squad bike he came out to the bike to, to the gates and he actually invited us all in and we all got to spend an entire day with michael at neverland and that's just who Michael is. So it has less to do with me than it has with him.
4: Yeah. Like, what, what was he really like? I mean, we all have our kind of ideas. I mean, I was a huge fan as well. I went to see him in Cork in 88, and I thought he was the most incredible showman I'd ever seen. And to this day, I, I say the same thing, the most incredible showman I'd ever watched on a stage. Remarkable, genius in so many different ways. But what was he, what was he really like, Talitha, when, when you got close to him?
10: Um, so yeah, there were definitely in a way two Michaels, like there was the Michael Jackson, the superstar, the performer, the artist, the man you saw when you went to see him in concert. And he was just like so confident um, and, you know, that the actual Michael that I got to know, I mean, he was just this very gentle, soft-spoken, sweet, kind, compassionate man. He was painfully shy um, extremely humble and just so open, like I said, open, loving, accepting, um, just a really good person, and he genuinely cared about the planet and about children and animals, and he was here to do good. I think he was sent here with a message you know of peace and love and humanity.
4: They're very different behind the stage persona, very, very different uh, image off stage, say.
10: Yeah, and he talked about that himself, like how he felt so differently on stage. I remember he said in a phone call, he called me once um, uh, in 2008, and, you know, we had a really long conversation, and he talked about that, how when he was on stage, he just he, he felt like he could move mountains. You know, he was so powerful on stage, and then off stage, he really struggled with his shyness. He was so, so, so shy. He was such a gentle person.
4: Hmm. You spoke, I think, to him... Um there's an extract from the book was published in the last few days. You spoke to him, I think very shortly before he died, um, yeah, you were very worried about him, I think a lot of fr- his friends were very worried about him at that stage,
10: yeah, so I did talk about earlier about my early years around Michael, where you know I was meeting him fleetingly here and there, and then had that wonderful day at Neverland. but it was really in the later years I became close to him, so oh seven oh eight oh nine I lived here in the u s and I would go to see him. Often, I I ended up seeing him like every other day for periods of a month or two or three. Um, So it was kind of a daily presence around him. Oh,
4: would this be in Neverland or would this be wherever? No,
10: this was in um, Las Vegas. So after he left Ireland um, at the end of 2006, he relocated to the US. He lived in Las Vegas uh, for a period um, through uh, until the summer 2007. And then he lived um, in Vegas again in 08. And then he lived in Los Angeles. So um, it's it, 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 I, when I met him, was around like those areas. It was uh, around his home in Vegas, in L.A. Um, and so in 2009, that's also the case. Um, there were a group of us fans who were around him every day in L.A. And we would see him. He would come and you know stop and talk to us every time he came and went. And I also had some private visits with him. So I was around him a lot in '09 as he was uh, preparing for the This Is It tour. Um, and so that was the tour he announced in March. And it was to consist of 50 shows in London um, that were to begin in the summer of 2009.
4: That was to be an absolutely huge tour. A lot of people at the time watching it said, you know, Michael's getting older now. Has he bitten off a bit more than he can chew here? But he was so determined. I was was hoping to go to London to see the gig. You know, he was so determined to carry it out.
10: He was, and he was um, seemingly very excited, although I know that he didn't agree to 50 concerts. Actually, he was pressured into taking on more than he wanted to. Um, For years, he'd been talking to me about touring again and saying he didn't want to do tours um, of the scale of history, dangerous, bad, which all consisted of, you know, I don't know, 70, 80 concerts. Mm. He wanted to do exclusive shows in various cities across the world. And so initially London was supposed to be, uh, I think, 20 concerts. And then there was such a feverish demand for tickets that the organizers just kept on adding on more shows and more shows, and it just like it ballooned. And I don't believe he had uh, a say in that. I don't think he agreed to that. That's something he expressed um, to several people.
4: Was he unwell at the time, Talisa? Do you think? No,
10: I, I don't think. No, I, initially he was not unwell. And um, I also have to say um, the, about the concerts, he didn't express that to me personally. He expressed it to other people who I know um, about being pressured into taking on. Um, more than he, he wanted. So I didn't know that there was any issue with the shows. Um, you know, he seemed really happy and excited all through March, April, May. Um, so it was really the end of May. He invited a few of us into uh, a studio where he was rehearsing, and that was the first time he expressed um, concerns about the tour, and he wasn't entirely happy with it. But at the time, no, he still seemed, like, really fine and healthy and strong, and it was just like a couple of weeks after that that I really began to see a deterioration, um, both physically and psychologically. He seemed to be really, really stressed out. And I know he was suffering from insomnia. Mm. He also suffered from, you know, he had vit- vitiligo, which is why his skin appeared so much lighter then it would have been otherwise. Um, it's a condition that destroys the pigmentation of the skin. Mm. He suffered from that. He also suffered from lupus because a lot of people who have vitiligo, um, vitiligo also suffered from an autoimmune disease. So he also had lupus, So um, which would flare up in times of stress. So I think that was a major issue as well. Um, and just, just like I said, being unhappy with the tour. So I definitely saw like a deterioration.
4: Talk to me about the last time that you spoke to him, and and which I think was very shortly before his tragic death.
10: Yeah, so like I said, I got really concerned in those last few days, and as did my friends who were around me, um, and also our friends in Europe who had been over to see him in uh, previous weeks. And so together we uh, organized um, for everyone to write him a letter. So these were all follower fans, fans he knew, fans he would have recognized. And they all sat down and wrote him a letter just basically pleading with him to put his health first, that, you know, we love him more than we love the Michael Jackson, like it's him we care about, the man, the human being. Hmm. And so um, everyone sent the letters to L.A., and we put them all together. And on the very last night, so June 24th, um, my friends Jill and I um, went to the Staples Center where he was rehearsing, and when he arrived there, um, he stopped to talk to us, which, I mean, he always did. And so um, we presented him with the letters and we just asked him, please, please, please read them. They're really important. We explained they were from fans from all over the world. And he promised he'd read them. Um, and that was the last time I ever talked to him.
4: Who broke the news to you, Talisa, that he'd passed away? I mean, it must have been heartbreaking to hear it. Who told you? <sighs>
10: Um, Well, uh, I was at the hospital that day. I mean, I'd heard that he was taken to the hospital, so I went there. And um, the first I heard was from a media report, just like everybody else. Um, But I didn't believe it because, honestly, the media had been lying to me about Michael my whole life. Why would I believe them now, you know? So I didn't believe it. My friends, we didn't believe it. You know, like, it can't be true. There's no way. It's not not possibly true. Um, And actually, I had seen a headline from the 80s saying that he was dead so i was like you know they've been trying to kill him off for years like this it's it's not it's just an, another sensational headline i mean no i just i wouldn't believe it and then there were lots of rumors going around like some that he was in a coma um and so we thought, well, okay, Coma's not dead, you know. Um, but, I mean, it was horrific. It was a nightmare. It was my worst nightmare come true. It was just a torturous afternoon. And I just, I feel like the whole world knew before I did because I couldn't believe it. I wouldn't believe it. I wouldn't allow that to be my reality. Like, I just couldn't accept it, you know. I'm not sure I, I still have, really.
4: <laughs> yeah. You, I suppose you did finally have to let him go, though.
10: Uh yeah, I guess. I don't know.
4: You mentioned about the, the media, and you said the media lied to you about him. Maybe this kind of ties you what I'm going to ask you next. Like, nobody, they can ever question Michael's genius as an artist. As I said before, one of the greatest I've ever seen, if not the greatest. But he was a very controversial character. Like, the trial, when, when he was found not guilty of child molestation, you, you attended that trial did you ever discuss these things with him
10: Um, he would bring it up a few times later but first of all I want to say Michael wasn't controversial what the world did to him is what's controversial he was not a controversial man there's nothing controversial about Michael he was a good man living his life making beautiful art making beautiful music treating everyone with such kindness And being so open and trusting. And actually, that's what made him a target for a devious, corrupt.
2: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
10: Evil people who made their way into his life. And destroyed it. Destroyed him. Destroyed his good name. Yes, I sat behind him in the courtroom for much of the trial in 2005, uh, and I can tell you there is no correlation between what happened inside the courtroom and what was reported in the media. Everything was twisted to make Michael seem guilty, and so that fed into the social um, and, and collective consciousness, and that's why people don't like believe that you know they don't believe the truth, which is. he's not guilty he was found not guilty
4: we were able to watch a lot of the trial though as it unfolded
10: no it wasn't televised so no there were reenactments but no the trial itself wasn't televised and one of the reenactments were you know hand-picked scenes anyway that you know maybe were presentations by the prosecutors but in every case i mean they went into that trial Uh, with a case that was based on lies and fabrications. And each of those lies was unraveled and revealed for what it really was. And that is why at the end of a four month trial, the 12 jury members found Michael not guilty on all charges. That's why, because he was an innocent man. You know, the FBI investigated him several times over a 12 year period. They released these documents a few months after he passed. The FBI investigated him for 12 years. Excuse me, and they found no evidence of any wrongdoing. There was never any evidence because there was no wrongdoing. There's a reason he was found not guilty, because he's an innocent man. And anybody can make a sordid documentary and say whatever they want. It doesn't make it true. If you want to know the truth, go and read the trial transcripts. I was
4: going to ask you about those documentaries that came up in, in the last number of years. One or two of them were covered on the program here. And, and I think people... Sort of were, 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 they were divided on them. Like those, what did you think of those documentaries?
10: Well, obviously, I didn't watch them. They sound disgusting. I would never watch something like that. They sound really sordid. And I have friends who watch them and they told me, you know, how everything was just twisted. It's like, you could tell me you went in the park and got abducted by aliens, and look, here's a picture of me in the park, because that's the equivalent of what these people do. They take pictures of them with Michael, and then they just make up whatever narrative they want because they're desperate for the fame and the money. Uh, One of the men involved in leaving Neverland, well, actually, the two men involved, Jimmy Safechuck and Wade Robson, they both testified under oath while Michael was alive, that he never did anything wrong. I was in the courtroom in 2005 when Wade Robson, again, one of the men involved in leaving Neverland, went on the stand and, as a grown man, testified that Michael never did anything wrong. He said it repeatedly and adamantly and quite clearly as a grown man. Michael never did anything wrong. So after Michael passed... Wade Robson, you know, desperate to continue to benefit from his friendship with Michael, tried to become a choreographer on a tribute show to him. Okay. And when that failed, when the estate turned him down, well, he got pretty angry. And that's when these allegations were voiced. And he tried to sue the estate for $1.5 billion. Um, and, you know, his everything was thrown out of court. So, obviously... You know, again, you can, you can say whatever you want in the public arena. It doesn't make it true. It doesn't make it true. And people did that in 2005 as well. And like I said, when those lies were presented in court, when they were held up to the light, they were revealed for what they really are lies.
4: You talk always and many times about the magic of Michael Jackson. Just as, as we finish up, uh, Talitha, what what was that magic?
10: That oh, that's an undefinable quality. I don't know what the magic was, but Michael had it, um for sure. He was such a a presence. He was an elevated soul. I think he was better than the rest of us, you know, more compassionate, more kind. He had the purest heart you can imagine. He was just a pure soul. He was beautiful and you felt that when you were around him. You felt elevated as well and, you know, to be loved by him, to be held by him. It was heaven on earth. It was heaven on earth. I could live a thousand lifetimes and never know as much joy as I did in one moment in his presence.
4: I think that's a nice way to finish, Talisa. Thank you so much for talking to me.
10: Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity.
4: That's Talisa Lenihan, author from, from Bohar Wee, author of a new book, called A Real Life Fairy Tale Michael Jackson and Me it's available, it's self-published and it's available on Amazon either ebook or paperback she has made her mind up about him a long time ago I think a lot of other people have made up their mind down a different road since but you have to admire her passion for the man that she says she still absolutely loves with all her heart She's entitled to. 1850 The Opinion Line
3: on Corks 96 FM.
1: With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie.
3: 9am On
2: Cork's
3: 96FM. You know that there was a Trump
4: stamp that had been approved for uh, production. Like, like a postage stamp. So the US Postal Service created a stamp with a picture of President Trump, but the new stamp was not sticking to the envelopes, so this absolutely enraged the president who demanded a full investigation. A special presidential commission presented the following findings. The stamp is in perfect order. There's nothing wrong with the adhesive. People were spitting on the
7: wrong side of it. <laughs> <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning
2: with no D.C. Cars Blackpool. Celebrating the arrival of the new Skoda Octavia. Book your test drive now at noldc.com. Exclusively Skoda in Cork City. Corks 96
3: FM. This is Corks Gold. Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call
2: us now. 1850-715-996. On
3: Quartz 96 FM.
4: A lot of people in agreement with me. What I said about me Martin and the uh, St Patrick's Day meeting with Joe Biden. Do it on flippin Skype, me Hall, and don't be giving us nonsense about having to go there to fulfil some tradition. Yes, it's a beautiful tradition, a wonderful tradition. It's a very uniquely Irish tradition, and it's great to have it. But you know what? You can have it on Skype just for once. How many birthdays have we done on Skype? How many funerals have we watched? on Skype, of of loved ones. My own dad's anniversary mass. I, I watched on Facebook Live two weeks ago. You know, uh, no, Michal, not this time. Not this year. Not this year. You can go next year, maybe, but not this year. And I think there's a bit of support for that. I'll come back to it. 1850 715 Now, an idea. I read it. And I read it again. And I read it again and Herbert from wheelsforwomen.ie, you want to start driving on the other side of the road? Why? Good morning.
11: Good morning, PJ. No, I don't, actually. <laughs> no, to be honest, PJ, this is one of these topics that comes up regularly every few years. And um, For some reason, it, it appears it's come back into the spotlight now due to Brexit and the impact that Brexit will have on the number of used cars that are coming into the country and also potentially new cars coming into the country. So once again, as I said, it's in the spotlight. Should we ever consider switching to the side, to the other side of the road in terms of what the road that we drive on?
4: Now, as someone who has driven abroad once or twice and picked up the car with everything on the wrong side and and had to spend the twenty minutes realigning my mind and then realizing, yeah, okay, I could I could probably do this if I had to. But you <laughs> wouldn't you have to change the whole the whole country around?
11: Oh, it would be an absolutely huge task. You would have to literally re-engineer roundabouts, junctions, motorway intersections. Then there would be all the signage. Then you'd have to replace all the buses. I mean, it's not for the faint-hearted now, to be honest, PJ. It would take, as I said, it would be a mammoth task, and there would be all sorts of implications. Obviously, you know, apart from the fact that it would devalue all of the used cars that are in the country at the moment, there would also be the issue of the border. What would you do?
4: Terry's just saying here. He's from, Terry's from Dundalk. He's saying, "What about driving from Dundalk to Newry? like, where do you change and how?"
11: Yeah, absolutely. No, no, I appreciate all of that. I suppose the thing to look at, though, I mean, it has been done in the past. Most people would be aware of the Swedish example in in 1967. They changed. But they were by no means the first country nor the last to do it. And the most recent time was in Samoa in 2009. They switched. Now, they actually went different. They went from right to left. So they booked the trend completely. But I mean, it has happened quite a lot. And as I said, most people are just familiar with the Swedish example. But there's many more. Really? Mm.
4: And what are the advantages, or what, what, what do they think are the advantages?
11: Well, I mean, more than anything else, it's, most times it's happened, it's due to cars and importing cars. When it happened in Samoa, what happened was, because they were, um, they were dependent on American imports to come in as, as for, for used cars, and they were obviously quite expensive, whereas you know their neighbours were Australia and New Zealand, and they drove um, on the left, because obviously they're British colonies, so... Um, They did it mainly for that reason. The same thing in Sweden. They had an awful lot of left-hand drive cars because their neighbours drove on the right. And therefore, again, from a safety point of view, they thought it would be better if they just switched like their neighbours. So most times it has to do with cars and importing cars or safety or whatever, but it's all kind of bound in that. And one of the reasons why so many people or so many what countries are left sort of driving and um, on the left is the British, um, is the British influence and British colonies. So, like Japan would be an exception there, but the majority of places that are, are driving on the same side of the road as us, it's to do with the British heritage.
4: Yeah. It's I just the, the thought I mentioned before I brought you on there about, you know, going into the airport car, higher place, got me with the days, uh, in, in Spain and, and picking up the, the car and everything's on the wrong side. And it takes about maybe 15, 20 minutes to be fluid with it. And then you're grand. But I can't imagine trying to drive, trying to drive, uh, say... One of those cars on the opposite side, as in land me a car here that's a European setting that as in driving on the on the right or on the left and and put it on a in a country where we drive on the right like that that's a recipe for carnage.
11: Oh, it is. It's a complete disaster, because the problem as well is your car is set up normally for the road, you know, for the side of the road that you're driving on. Yes. And there's a visibility the issue. The driver's always in the middle of the road. If you're in the yeah. car that's designed for the wrong side of the road. I've done it both here and abroad. And it is a big problem. You have to depend constantly on a passenger, you know, to kind of advise you when is the right time to overtake and all sorts. So if you don't have a passenger, you're really in trouble. So no, I mean absolutely, PJ, that would be a recipe for disaster. There's no doubt about that.
4: I can just see a, a busy morning, a busy, wet morning in November with half the half the cars all done round down, She might not bother coming into town at all. You'd never get through it. But it, it, apart from Sweden, like you, you say, it's something that has been done a few times.
11: Oh yeah, it's been done a lot. I mean, Canada, Poland and Spain switched in 1924. Poland and Brazil switched in 28. And then there was a heap of countries in the early 1970s that did it. Nigeria, Ghana, Sudan. And as I said, Samoa is probably, as far as I'm aware, is the most recent one in 2008 um, to do it. Now, you know, I mean, like I suppose the thing about this is if you go back to the 20s there would have been much less cars. Even if you go back to Sweden in 1967, there would be much less cars. So what was actually involved was probably an awful lot less. But I mean the other consideration um, uh, PJ would be the cost of it like it cost 64 million yeah. in Sweden in 1967 now you'd imagine, that is somewhere in the equivalent of about in excess of 500 million today but I mean as I said it would have been a much smaller task then than it would be now so I mean it would be hard to even quantify the cost
4: mm. but then again it would probably make the would, would make the cars a little bit cheaper because we would import them directly from Europe and wouldn't have to bother with land bridges and Brexit and
11: all that nonsense Um, It would give us a better supply of cars, but I'm not convinced it would make them any cheaper. For the simple reason, the reason our cars are quite expensive is to do with our tax system. It's got very little to do with the cost of the car coming into Ireland. So I've no doubt the government would still, you know, charge the same VRT and everything else that would put the price of cars up. As I said, the big problem would be, the the big benefit would be just the supply of cars. There's a number of cars that are produced by European car manufacturers that they simply don't make in right-hand drive. Mm. Um, So we lose out. Now, if it turns out that the UK becomes a pretty uncompetitive market for car companies, in terms of, you know, if you add in, like, sort of the custom delays, the form filling, the potential tariffs, some manufacturers might decide, you know something, it's just not worth supplying cars to the UK. If they do that, they'll axe right-hand production, and we won't matter, because we're a tiny, tiny player in the car market. So that would be the thing, really, is just that we would benefit from, you know, the fact that we have right-hand drive, we wouldn't be dependent, or left-hand drive, we wouldn't be dependent on the UK market market anymore. But I mean, I I think to be honest, PJ, the gains would be very small in comparison to what we'd have to, you know, sacrifice to get
4: there. <laughs> I, uh, I shudder at the chaos. It would make I, I think it'd make Brexit look like a chimpanzees tea party. Yeah.
7: Good <laughs>
4: Geraldine, good to talk to you always. Thank you very much. Uh, Geraldine. Herbert writes motoring for the Sunday Independent and writes wheels for Now so there's an idea. Can you imagine the fun we'd can you imagine the fun we'd have here? On the first morning we were all driving on the other side of the road Ah Jesus Wayne did never get down out of the sky. Wayne it'd be up twenty all day reporting on carnage on the roads. Can you just imagine? eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. What about I think you're worrying about nothing, says this message. Joe Biden will more than likely cancel the visit, possibly, yes. Tom says on the White House visit, I would totally agree with PJ. It sets a bad example. Mossy says, Will he be vaccinated? Don't know. Anya, the St. Patrick's Day meeting should of course be done through Skype. This year Michal Martin needs to acknowledge this, but Biden might make the decision for him anyway as he reinstated travel restrictions to the US from Ireland. Yeah, there's going to be a, I think, mandatory quarantine, or certainly we won't even be allowed in. Uh, There'll be something... Actually, um, loads of other places. I see Israel. I was reading this this morning early. Israel have now decided no passenger flights in for the foreseeable. And Belgium is shutting its borders to all and sundry so, you know, come on, like, we need to cop on here and, and lock down properly. I drove in America for years, coming home on holidays, only took about 15 minutes to adjust. At least the pedals are the same on both, so it wouldn't be that hard to switch, says Ger. No, you're right, Ger, you're right, it's not. The first time you do it, it's a little bit daunting. Uh, but afterwards, it, your brain learns, particularly if you're driving for any, any period of time at all, your, your brain learns, so you, you pick up a, a, a car... ...and do everything on the other side of the road... ...you, you kind of slip into it... Uh, ...very, very quickly... ...185715996... ...I would be very cross... ...if Mihal Martin has got to got to go to America... ...as I was refused to go... ...as a ban on Ireland going into America... ...so it would be discrimination... ...if he gets in... ...I'll be watching this one with interest... ...as Ger in Cove... ...and Jim says... ...it's not the first time Mihal Martin goes against the trend of public health advice... And look what happened the last time. It's utterly wrong the way he's running the country. Now, at the moment, all that has been said, if I was reading it correctly at the weekend, is that Micheál Martin would like to continue the tradition of going to the White House on St. Patrick's Day. He has said that. He would like to continue the tradition of going... On St. Patrick's Day. Whether or not he'll be able to, I guess, is another day's
3: work. The opinion line on Corks 96 FM. With
1: Lehan Motors leading the way for Toyota Hybrids, the place to order your 211 Toyota. See Lehan Access all areas
2: on Corks 96 FM. Your
3: guide to nightlife on Lee Side. Hi, it's
1: Michael here with an update on Corks Entertainment. Some rise, some fall is an independent community of songwriters, musicians, and creatives. That brings together artists and vocalists such as Cork's John Bleck, Rowan, Anna Mitchell, Marlene Enright and others. They've just released their debut track, Funny Time of Year, taken from their first album, due out next month. Access All Areas. Cork Orchestral Society's online program continues in February with Cork School of Music Emerging Artist of the Year, Brendan Gard, joined by Gary Beecher on piano for a live stream concert on the Society's website. Check out corkorchestralsociety.ie for further information.
3: Access All Areas.
1: Being free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show coming up in 2021 or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie Access All Areas Your guide to nightlife on
2: side On Cork's 96FM
4: Micheál Martin needs to keep his ass on Irish grass and know more about it. Worse than children, the lot of them. Thanks Mr Coogan, love the show. Mr Coogan? The only people who call me that is guards. <laughs> thank you 185715996 the Chief Executive of Nursing Homes Ireland has pointed to a major staffing crisis in the sector and lots of facilities around Cork now gravely affected by COVID-19 among among the staff huge numbers of nursing home staff out of work around the country and Cork quite badly affected Ty Daly good morning to you
12: good morning Peter it is getting very serious out, out there isn't it It is, absolutely. I mean, what we've seen over the last couple of weeks is a significant deterioration of the situation, which mirrors what's happening in the community, obviously, with the the high levels of transmission and also what's happening in in our acute hospitals. So uh, at this point in time, it's concerning. But by the same token, I think it's important to reassure people that, you know, staff are doing anything and everything to um, maintain safe quality of care. And many staff uh, cancelling their shifts and and indeed cancelling their leave rather. Uh, and working extra shifts to, to make sure that we can, uh, you know, continue to support people at this very, very difficult time.
4: How, how do you cover it when you're four or five people down? Do you look for agency workers or do you just try to cover the cracks with what you've got?
12: Yeah, it's a combination of both, really, uh, PJ, to be honest. I mean, what, ideally the situation would be uh, with the existing staff cohort, because they would be familiar with the layout of the building, uh, they will be familiar with the residents, obviously, which is the most important element, uh, so that would be the ideal case scenario. but in some instances, no more than we 've seen in the CUH recently with a significant number out in any one facility uh, or any one nursing home that has a very very serious impact so in that case, it may be agency uh, it may be transfer of some people from uh, from the Hse uh, so uh, you know it is an ongoing evolving situation, and you're also Thankfully, now we're seeing uh, staff who have been either COVID positive or close contacts returning to the workforce as well. So it, it, it's an evolution, I suppose, on an ongoing basis.
4: I read a, a piece about this in the Echo at the Weekend where you said that one of the reasons that it's such a problem is that serial testing, which is a good thing in itself, yes. is picking up asymptomatic cases, which can only be a good thing.
12: Oh, absolutely. We've been uh, Serial testing has been ongoing since uh, early last year, now at this stage, every two weeks. And in fact, from the early part of January, now it's a weekly element. So serial testing is critical. Uh, and many members would have been using intermediary, like antigen testing, in between. Uh, but serial testing is happening every week now at this stage across all nursing homes, public, private and voluntary. And the numbers are quite low. It's about 2.3% of detection rate. But what that means is that you can identify people who are asymptomatic, and obviously they are taken off the roster immediately, so you're continuing to protect the residents and other staff in the facility. But it does have a, a knock-on effect on staffing, but it is a vital element of the ongoing challenges I suppose, on the fight against COVID.
4: Do you need help to, with staffing? Can you use volunteers?
12: Yeah, I mean, uh, we've seen over the last couple of weeks in, in Cork and indeed in care in other counties where the Defence Forces have been helping with laundry and cleaning. I mean, clearly, you know, caring for older people is, is very complex. and uh, We do need professional people uh, in terms of the hands-on care Uh, So if there's any of your listeners who are either maybe retired nurses or indeed nurses who have just returned from other jurisdictions and are willing to help, then absolutely they should contact their local nursing home. And similarly, you know, volunteers in terms of, again, laundry, maybe catering. Uh, or maybe even communication. Sometimes it can be challenging if if, if there's a, a big outbreak. You know, someone even answering the phones uh, for families who are ringing, for example. So, yeah, I mean, ultimately, if any of your listeners are available, they should ultimately contact their local nursing home, public, private, or voluntary. I know the HSC have also uh, put out a call for. Uh, either staff and volunteers right across the system.
4: One would hope that by the time all of the people currently out of work, either self-isolating or actually recovering from uh, COVID one would hope that they make a full recovery obviously but then that the vaccine rollout would catch up and that they would have their vaccine and the people they care for would have their vaccine and that should rectify the situation, will it?
12: Yeah, I mean, look, we're definitely in a, in a difficult place at the moment. But by the same token, we're in a much better place than we were two weeks ago, because now every nursing home in the country, does residents and staff who are in a position to take the vaccine have been vaccinated with, with the first dose, and the second dose is, is actually starting this Thursday. So the, the vaccine uh, rollout can't come half soon enough, obviously. Yeah. Are we'll you concerned can...
4: about the slowdown in it, Tyg?
12: Yeah, I mean, it is a worry, but we are assured by, uh, you know, by, by the HSE and also uh, by Antishuk and, and Minister for Health that the prioritization of nursing home residents will continue. So what we need now is about 40,000 uh, per week is what's coming into the country, as I understand it. So we have now about 75,000 between residents and staff in nursing homes who will require the second dose. So we'd be confident in the next couple of weeks that that will maintain, uh, and that's usually the priority because that was the priority assigned at day one under the um, National Immunisation Advisory Committee, um, and they are the most vulnerable, as we know,
4: Hopefully that will rectify the situation indeed If anyone wants to volunteer, contact their local nursing home Thank you very much, Ty Daly Chief Executive of Nursing Homes Ireland
3: The Opinion Line With PJ Coogan On Courts 96 FM
4: Marion says St. Patrick's Day Should be cancelled for good He left an awful lot of snakes Into the door (laughs) That comes out every year Marion But thank you Sean on the left hand drive now, why French, Why the French changed over to the other side of the road? There are many theories. One being that it was just to be different from the English, but of course that one doesn't quite stack up. Sean prefers the cavalry charge explanation. The what? The cavalry charge explanation. You need to be able to draw your sword. If you're right on the left, you have your right hand free to defend yourself. But Napoleon was left-handed and naturally drew his sword in the left and rode on the right. Some companies of soldiers were afraid to do the opposite, but they found the confusion and intimidation caused by riding on the right more than complicated for the disadvantage of fighting across their body because they learned to pivot on their horses. I never saw a horse in my life with left and right seats on it, but I'll take your word for it. Take your word for it. Tracy and Blarney was delighted with the interview with Talitha Lenihan. It's nice to hear the other side of the story, read the positives about Michael, and advocating his innocence instead of all the negativity that's constantly written about him. As a fellow MJ fan, I will be buying that book, and I look forward to reading it. Thank you. 185715996, the number, the text or WhatsApp, 83 396 96 96 The email opinion at 96fm.ie If you missed anything in our first two hours this morning Remember you can get the podcast In mid-afternoon We put it up first on Twitter And then it goes to all our various platforms Including the Cork's 96fm app So you can catch up with anything you might have missed During the course of this morning's show We've had someone on the phone Very upset And worried Um, So I'm just going to put this out here for what it's worth and uh, not going to comment on it either way because I wouldn't like to upset the person further please please don't make a big issue out of the kilometre thing don't underestimate the impact of going from 5k back to 2k I live alone under the 5k restrictions I can at least get to one beach and one wooded area with my dogs I can't sleep at night worrying about the restrictions being tightened back to 2K, I would be lost. It's a valid view. Thank you for it. 1850-715-996. Now, we've talked many times on the programme about the cataract bus, as it's called, where people are taken from West Cork up over the border to a hospital in Belfast. They have their cataract operation and they're back down a couple of days after and they can reclaim... The cost, or most of the cost at least, from the HSE under the EU cross-border directive scheme. Now, all of that is kind of by the way. But the worry was that Brexit would put the kibosh on it. Because not only are you now uh, going, you're going to a place outside the European Union, let alone going to another country to do it. So, will that change anything? Will they be able to resume the cataract bus uh, when lockdown ends. One man who's been very vocal and indeed, uh, played a big role in getting the cataract buses on the road in the first place is Cork South West TD, Michael Collins. Michael, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. There was a thought that Brexit would put the kibosh on those cross-border trips. COVID aside, has it? Um, it had. Uh, for the I
6: suppose it's uh, the 1st of January because there was no new cross-border uh, initiative uh, after being put in place. It looks like now, and I'm cautiously optimistic, that a newly announced Northern Ireland plant healthcare scheme will replace the scheme that is there. Um, I have been on to Kilkenny on Thursday and on Friday and on this morning to to see what is the new role of the king because Kilkenny is is, is where it's administered from. Uh, the HSE uh, are administered from there. Uh, they tell me they're awaiting protocol, but the first thing they can clarify is that anybody who hasn't quite a lot of people did in a frantic state uh, leave uh, Cork County and 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 Wisconsin maybe Ireland, but anyway we we'll, we'll deal with the whole of Cork County uh, to Northern Ireland uh, in December on the hopes of of, of at least having the consultation and could to get the operation and no doubts were cast over that at the beginning of the year that they still could even get their operation but they can now get their operation once the process had begun before the end of the year and they had some uh, the, the, the we'll say the consultation done they are now allowed uh, be compensated uh, uh, recompensated through the new cross-border scheme so that's the first thing that's done the second is that they've told me if there's new patients that need to go abroad, send in uh, the applications um, through the same kind of pathway of referral as before, and they will look into it. But because they're waiting for for final instruction. But in fairness, look, this wasn't there. If you rang me a month ago, I couldn't. I would be saying that the scheme was coming to an end, and I couldn't guarantee whether it would continue again. I think there was a lot of uh, pressure. I, I myself and other TDs uh, even last week. Uh, there was a Fianna Fáil TD of Minister Donnelly to wake up and get a new scheme put in place here because people need it. Now, I did question the Minister of Foreign Affairs uh, on, on Thursday and he said to me his clear understanding of patients requiring treatment for cataract or knees will have the ability to travel south-north, north-south. Uh, with this new Northern Ireland planned healthcare. Now, the one thing he did say was there was no cross... They could not put in uh, anything in place because there was no cross... Uh, a new cross-border deal uh, until the, the Brexit was struck. But I could have argued at that point that I ran out of time in the all uh, PJ mm. that, that uh, there was two agreements already uh, put in place well in advance uh, of, of, of Brexit hmm. two healthcare initiatives where pa- patients come from Donegal to Derry um, cancer patients and rightly so that was ca- continued at an early stage and, and Children needing Act uh, operations were going from Belfast to Dublin and that was put in place well in advance of Brexit striking but look it looks like we have some kind of scheme uh, it's, it's great news for the people of Cock uh, the whole of Cock County And, and
4: when and it, it comes so, in, uh, will it be a permanent arrangement?
6: That's the one worry I have, uh, PJ, is that it says now that this new scheme, the Northern Ireland Plant Health Care, when rolled out properly, which will be in the next number of weeks, is changing on the 31st of the 12th, twenty twenty-one. So my worry now again, we're going to be in the same situation September, October, November, clearly with the powers that be to put in a permanent scheme. Is it something
4: that might possibly need to be renewed every year or something?
6: I I think it needs to be renewed indefinitely because we had over 7,000 people who used uh, the cross border to, to Belfast last year oh. and I can assure you when COVID is over that will double because um, there's a lot of operations that have been put off because, due to COVID uh, restrictions and de- de- there'll be an absolute uh, uh, influx of, of people needing uh, surgical procedures immediately uh, in, in, in the south the south won't be able to cope with it they'll be yeah. so like this, this will have to continue indefinitely, and I think they, they I think they, they, they didn't put legislation in place in time. Maybe yeah. they're buying time now by putting something in, by, until the thirty-first of the twelfth, and then they'll look
4: at it. it look, at least, at least at least it's not. there, and there's some kind of a deal being done, which which indicates that you know channels of communication can be opened with our with our northern friends, as it were, which raises uh, or brings me rather to another question. Michael, uh, and I, as someone who's familiar through what you do with how cross-border stuff works, do you think there's any way that we could come to some kind of a deal with our colleagues up north about quarantining people and restricting travel to get rid of this blasted virus?
6: Definitely. I, I can't understand why agreement can't be put in place, but I can see... Uh, in Northern Ireland, uh, themselves seem to be squabbling quite a lot. And the the unfortunate thing is that they can't agree themselves in the north as to how to, you know, walk through this COVID and walk united through the COVID regardless of the political differences there. It's very hard for them to see how they can work with the the politicians in the south. But we have an issue, uh, PJ, with people flying into this country so we have an issue maybe in the northern situation. We certainly have an issue with people from all over the world flying into this country and no quarantine p- being put in place. I pleaded with um, the Tishka at the time, Leo Varadzic, to make sure that PCR testing was done in our airports at the beginning. And he said that time too costly. Now it's coming at a huge cost to the state Um that, that, that wasn't put in place in March, April, May, June, uh, you know, when people were flying. And we continue continuously mm. allow them flying. And I'm making the reference to a country like New Zealand who have 4.9 million, very similar population to ourselves, we're surrounded by water so we can easily feed our country better than anyone else in the world and we are unable to do that at this present time. And we unfortunately... Well, the argument is
4: we have two jurisdictions, Michael.
6: That is is the argument, but unfortunately, the agreements that, that, you know, can be made across the world and the restrictions that can be made across the world should be made in in relation to Northern Ireland and the South. And surely, because our politicians could have sat down and... And come up with some agreement, but I do, and I uh, maybe it's wrong me to point the finger but I think the Northern Ireland government have a lot to answer for because uh, they, they're, 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 they're finding it difficult to agree amongst themselves, unfortunately. Well, that's true, so it's hard for them to see quite that's how true. they can agree with the people in the South.
4: All right, thanks very much, Michael Collins, Independent TD for uh, Cork South West 1850 uh, 996. In terms of borders and all of that, um, look. So we've come back to. I wanted to read this to you. If I can open it and find it now, I will. If not, I'll find it for him before I'm done. Yeah, I had to find it again for him. There was a, there was one case in New Zealand, one community case in New Zealand, announced in the last few days. And you want to see what they've done to squash it and and keep it from getting worse. Like these people know how to lock it down and lock the hell of it down i'll, I'll get to it uh, i'll i'll find it it's on my twitter feed somewhere and i'll find it um, but we need to get ruthless like that 185715996 the eyeball um survey is out the litter survey and cork does <laughs> Kind of meh, really. 1850 that's next.
3: The Opinion Line on Corks 96 FM.
1: With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie.
3: 6 to 9am on
1: Cork's 96FM
3: Like Lady Gaga's amazing singing for the National Anthem that was pretty impressive
1: Was that Lady Gaga? Yeah, yeah Jesus, she's normally dressed up as origami or a
2: fry <laughs> I thought they were after ordering Madonna off with <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Car's Blackpool celebrating the arrival of the new Skoda Octavia Book your test drive now at noeldc.com. Exclusively Skoda in Cork City Cork's 96FM
3: this is Court's Gold, Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
2: Text or WhatsApp now. 0833
3: 96 96 96. On Court's
4: 96 FM. So, weekly or monthly or... Re- A frequent rundown of the Irish litter top 40 is before me. No, I'm not making little of it. This is something that's been on now for quite a number of years. Irish Business Against Litter, a couple of times a year, come out with a survey of the top 40 most littered and least littered places in Ireland. And Ireland, our Cork features only in the top six. Uh, The top... The top five in the country, the cleanest places in the country according to Irish Business Against Litter are Kilkenny, number one, Killarney number two, Ennis, number three, Tullamore, number four, Portlaoise number five, and then Formoy at number six. And we don't feature again until number 24. Conor Horgan is the spokesman for Irish Business Against Litter. Hi, Conor. Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Fermoy always does well. Uh, Cork City, not so much. Where have we fallen down?
13: Well, Cork City has been doing very well in recent years, PJ, and this is the first time in many a year that it has slipped from clean to moderately littered. You know, that's in tandem with a general rise in litter across the uh, country. We've seen far fewer towns reach clean status, and Cork was one of those areas that slipped from clean to moderately littered.
4: What are the criteria for going from clean to monetary littered, like who sets them well, down? Yeah,
13: I mean it's Antashka who performed this on our behalf and their methodology just in very basic terms would say to be deemed clean you need 8 out of every 10 sites surveyed to be virtually clean of litter okay. so it's uh, not asking for the whole place to be perfectly clean mm.
4: but Cork City Centre Monetary water. Litter and then Mahan Littered, Mahan has had a bad rap this time
13: Yes, Mahan, having improved, um, has slipped slightly. Um, It again suffered from not having enough clean sites within the area. It had three clean sites in the 10 that were um, surveyed, and it did have a little black spot off the Ring Mahan Road, which seems to be used as a drinking spot. That's a problem we're encountering across the country. Despite the winter months,
4: the outdoor drinking seems to be continuing. Yeah. Looking at the city centre, you talk about a lot of food related litter, yes. fast food wrappers, plastic bottles, particular problems around Lower John Street and and uh, and that. Um, so so and again you in general up and down the country I think you've had a problem with coffee cups and other such things.
13: I, yes, and it's probably the case coffee is probably a good example in that. The food-related and drink-related litter probably would include coffee cups. And, you know, people are out and about. They're obviously not able to have a coffee indoors. So we see them all the time. It'll come as no surprise to listeners to hear that, uh, you know, people are going around with coffee cups. But too many of them are ending up on the ground. Um, it's also the case that there are fewer uh, council workers out there cleaning up our towns and cities. And that's probably felt most in cities where there's you know, not as tight a community to, to, to clean up uh, items that the council wouldn't be cleaning up. So I think it's no surprise that Cork has slipped somewhat. It's still not far off clean, but um, it's probably an example of co- the COVID uh, having its impact on litter.
4: Something I noticed over the last few months, and it comes up in the survey Connor, is the amount of discarded masks and discarded gloves. And we're disappointed about this PJ because we highlighted this
13: Uh, in last September, in the expectation that people would get used to using masks and they'd start to use them more responsibly and they'd use more reusable masks. Well, whether that's happening or not, we're seeing more and more masks end up as litter on our streets. And, uh, of course, people aren't picking them up, understandably.
4: Yeah, Um, that's another thing you find out. People are more reluctant now this year, say, than they were previously to pick up litter because they obviously don't want to get infected with COVID. Office, that's absolutely
13: natural, and we just hope uh, that you know if this pandemic endures, uh, that we won't have people getting out of the habit of picking up litter because uh, you know that has been a really important part of keeping our country clean. That people will just casually pick up litter, aside from the orchestrated cleanups like the tidy towns and so forth. But certainly, you're right in the case of masks. People understandably are not clean, taking them up, so uh, it's they remain there as a, as a real blight on the landscape.
1: You
4: wonder why someone, when they're finished with a mask, Connor, or any other item such as, wouldn't just put it into their pocket, take it home, and dump it in their own bin.
13: It's it's litter though is is hard to fathom anyway. That, uh, you know, I mean, we talk about COVID having an impact on litter, but uh, really, litter is something that's so unnecessary and we also have people enjoying the great outdoors like never before and at the same time spoiling that natural environment by leaving behind their litter so it really just shouldn't be happening so I don't like to see COVID being used as an excuse for litter it really, you know, there's no place for it in our city No, but it hasn't helped though It hasn't. No, it clearly hasn't. And look, the fact of the matter is, um, our message is please don't litter because the chances of it getting picked up are less than normal. That's a bizarre message in some ways, because you shouldn't expect people to pick up your litter, but it's the reality.
4: Mm. Also, the councils, you're you're quite critical of councils as well, failing to clean up places that are heavily littered. I suppose council workers too have been affected by uh, the pandemic.
13: Yes, they have. And they are, you know, frontline workers in a sense. And we know that uh, teams have been disbanded that will previously be doing work in the litter area and teams are out on the beat for, uh, you know, fewer hours than normal. At the same time, what we're talking about here, PJ, is that every time we do a report, we send it to the local authority. We highlight the very bad areas, the grade D sites, the grade C sites. And that's in the expectation that they'll be addressed. But when we look back now, between now and our previous survey, uh, nearly a quarter of the sites that we had identified as bad have got worse, and only 11% of them have improved. So like, that's pretty shocking that our work in highlighting them is falling on deaf
4: ears, really. Are we dirty people?
13: We, we've proven that we aren't, PJ, because the success of the last 15 years in cleaning up our country has been remarkable. Unfortunately, we're seeing slippage. It's not all down to COVID. Um, and we don't want dirty streets to be the norm again. They used to be the norm, but they haven't been for the last 15 years.
4: Mm. Someone asking here about Grona Braher. How is it doing? Well,
13: we haven't. It's, it's it's, it's not being surveyed just at the moment. So, mm. uh, you know, we're looking to rotate as much as we can. Because I think your
4: survey was affected by, by the COVID anyway, wasn't it?
13: Yes, it was. We only hit 37 towns, so some of them we couldn't do. We were delighted really to get to, to, to do what we were able to do. But, you know, ideally we would like to cover more and more areas and rotate more. Um, it is the case that those disadvantaged areas we're always talking about, they haven't improved, so we've stuck with them.
4: Mm. And the idea in terms of why the masks are so casually discarded, getting back to that.
13: I, I think when people are taking them in and out of their pockets, sometimes they will just be unintentionally, they will fall on the ground. I think there's no doubt about that. At the same time, I heard a report where someone was talking about their daily commute on the bus. And each time they get off the bus, they see other passengers throwing their masks on the ground as yeah. they get off the bus, yeah. which is quite incredible. I haven't seen that. I would have thought in a lot of cases it's just people not being mindful of where the masks are and you know they t- they just fall out of their pocket and so forth. It's hard to believe that people would deliberately throw so many masks on the ground.
4: Yeah, moreover, some people are suggesting here that maybe it's because it's been contaminated by a sneeze or a cough or whatever and they just want rid of it. But that's even less of a good reason to throw us less away. Less of a
13: good reason. I don't know if it's at play, but, uh, you know, and we hear calls from more and more bins, but really it isn't the answer. The local authorities would tell you that the bins will then be used for household refuse. Mm. And, of course, there's more and more household refuse than ever because we're staying at home. Yeah. So there's no easy answer. The answer is that people just need to act responsibly.
4: Okay. All right, leave it there. Thank you very much. That's uh, uh, Conor Horgan, the spokesman for Irish Business Against Litter. The survey is out. He doesn't think we're dirty people. I, unfortunately, think that we are, or that a lot of us are, dirty people. You only have to go to Fountainstown or Myrtleville in the summertime. You'll see how dirty... We are. But, uh, from my 6th out of 37 that were surveyed, that was clean to European normans, norms, rather. Cork City Centre, 24th on the list, moderately, moderately littered. Mahan was littered. At the very bottom of the list and paid 37 was Ballymun, seriously littered. And Dublin North, inner city, seriously littered. 1850, 715996. Tom agrees with my view on uh, on New Zealand yeah I found that actually I found that Twitter feed or that Twitter thread on what happened with one case in New Zealand uh, I'll tell you about it next 1850 715 The Opinion
3: Line on Corks 96FM
1: with Lehan Motors leading the way for Toyota Hybrids the place to order your two one one Toyota see lehanmotors.ie
3: Simon Murdoch and the best music mix
1: Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM Hey, you know I'll do all I can to help get rid of those Monday blues across Cork With 20 minutes of the best music mix Talk to you at 12 on Cork's 96FM
3: This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Call
1: us now, 1850-715-996
2: On
3: Cork's 96FM
4: yeah, I might actually hold off on that New Zealand Twitter thread because they've got one case, and I just want to read it. It's not very long. I want to read it about what exactly they've done to just squash it at source, and how the the kind of lessons we could learn from the way they do it there. But I'll hold on off on it for a while because I want to go to Moraid, uh, the Get Out Mummy on Instagram, who has been saying uh, on her posts of late that cabin fever has very much set in. Maureen, good morning to you.
11: Morning. I'm a bit more of the
5: stay-at-home mommy these days. We're not I'm... going anywhere.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but kind yeah. of every, everybody is. I see one of your recent posts, I had to I had to laugh. It said, I love my, this was a little like a picture of a, I, I love my family but cooking dinner every night till the end of time is excessive. That's how it's starting to feel, isn't it?
5: Yeah, it really is. And even at the moment, like, you know, we've all got our 5K and we know exactly what's in it and what we can do. And at this stage, I'm like, I wonder, can I swap gardens with the next door neighbor just for something different? Something else to look at. <laughs> you know, we just need to, we're all craving just something different.
4: How just many smileys do you have?
5: Um, I have three. So my eldest is six. He's been senior since. I have a three year old and I have a four month old. So it's good crack-juggling the different needs because, you know, they never want to do the same thing. But you're lucky yeah. will get there. you have at least one
4: school-goer it. there anyway, so he's yeah. off.
5: Yeah. Well, yeah, he's off, but, uh, and the preschooler's at home, but look. and It's fun. We'll just call it fun. How do you pass the day? <laughs> uh, well, we like, attempts to do schoolwork, but we're very lucky we don't have a sex zoom call time because I don't know how parents are juggling two or three of them, let alone one of them on work commitments. So we kinda of just squeeze it in between shouting and roaring fits and who wants what and sacks, the endless, never ending sacks. And we uh commute to school so we uh get up and up to the end of the road and back and then come in into our schooler. school <laughs> or <don't>, <laughs> Not every day, but like you have to. <laughs> you go, go for a walk to pretend the and swinging off the the chandelier. We don't understand it's not the lamppost or whatever. You're like, so well, you just we just need to get into school mode. we go to the end of the driveway and come back in, and we'll sit down and we'll get going. And then after school work, we'll go for a walk around the block and come back in just to you know they're not still in that school mind frame. But right. yeah, it's just trying to shake it up a bit and keep it interesting. Like it's, it's um, monotonous. <laughs>
4: because yeah, you're you're dealing as well with had you had an operation recently?
5: No, not at all. Like I have a four-month-old baby, and uh, like as quite a lot of pregnant women do, you ah. know, you get dodgy hips and all the rest. Yes. Of it. So, like my hip is still a bit off, so I can't be walking all five kilometers. No, mm. like it's fine, but when all you can do is walk, you don't long realizing. Oh, actually, <laughs>
4: yeah. Does the <laughs> fact go that, go that it's January things? make it worse?
5: Um, yeah, definitely. But I mean, it's cold, it's icy, you don't want to be putting any unnecessary risks and having slips and falls and making more work for frontline workers. So you have to be sensible as well. Um, like, yeah. you know, there's only so many places can be iced. Uh, yeah. You know, like, yeah. you walk around your block a few hundred times and you learn fairly quickly which side of the road is shaded. Um, and
4: and <laughs> yeah, and three, three small, does that bring three different moods at the one time? Is it possible to get them all in good form at the one time?
5: Uh, no, it's probably more a chance of winning the lotto. <laughs> like, look, we do a lot of things at home, like I set the three-year-old up with as much things as we can possibly find to keep him busy to get the big fella doing his homework and try and get the other fella to sleep so that we get a half an hour that's progressive and like all of the water play, even if I have to like get out a big bath towel and give him all his animals and tell him, give him a bath there for 20 minutes while we do some maths or sit him in the bath so that you know, when they inevitably tip all the water everywhere, it's only in the bath it's only going down the drain, it's fine. <laughs> if yeah. clothes get wet, we'll change them. So it's about being creative with what you have. Like, our recycling bin has been put to some use this month. <laughs>
4: now, I mean, you Start building, start creating. <laughs> you've nearly 20,000 followers on the old gram. And, and you're, the whole drive behind your Instagram is to get people out looking to do things outdoors. Very limited yeah. within the 5K.
5: Yeah, no, I have to say I don't know who owns it but the 5 kilometres from home app is very handy and you can see exactly how far you can go and we just mix it up like this you know, it's a circle pick a different corner every weekend and you know just even if it's the same four places at least it's a different place four weekends in a row that you're going a walk now you have to be sensible like the parks are extremely busy you have to go try and go early or late or at lunchtime they're quiet and if it's busy go to somewhere else or just walk along the street like you have to be sensible, you have to be safe, like, the, uh, my sister is a nurse and, and like, you know, I can't see her, so, like, I'm not going to go meet her down the park, and, like, I would love to go meet all my friends whenever, but I don't want to be making her extra work either, so, yeah. like, you know, we have to be
4: sensible. Do you, do you miss chatting and bantering with other parents?
5: Yes, I mean, my lifeline was, like, it doesn't matter where we went, like, there are some amazing coffee stands around Cork, like, I live across the original the park, there are three coffee stands, one at each entrance, mm. and we to meet any one of a load of friends, bring the kids for walks, bike scooters, get a takeaway coffee, walk, chat and all that, and, like, that morale is really lost at the moment, and yeah. I'm very lucky that I have those connections that I can pick up the phone and text already. But for a first-time parent, it's very isolating. Like, you know, you've had your baby, your family can't come over. There isn't someone who'd be like, here, I'll hold your baby while you have a shower. Those type of things. And that's really hard. Um, but even now, like, oh, I'll bring the kids for a walk too, have the same chats about Pokemon or Transformers or dinosaurs that we had yesterday. Yay! <laughs>
11: <laughs> you know, like, it is, it's a lot. And I know everyone is in the same boat and I know
5: it's really hard. But I think it's okay to say we're all feeling it. Yeah, And the kids are feeling it, and I think we have to, like, the kids are swinging from the ceiling because they're just done with doing the same thing, and we have to tell them, it's crap. Yeah. It is really crap, and I don't know when we're going to get to do it. We will do it eventually, but we just don't know when, because you can't say soon. Soon depends after lunch.
4: <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so, the prospect of it being with us until St. Patrick's Day... Yeah. M- I'd say that fills One you with is, dread. When I'm
5: in luck? We'll get weather like last March. And we'll Wouldn't that be great? In the garden this that was
4: that was, the, that was the saving grace of of last year. But that the weather
5: the was great. Year, like, last year we could throw them out in the garden for hours on end, and you know coats and hats and whatever. But this time of year you can't really do that all day. Like it is freezing. Yeah. <laughs> you know we you know, we don't want hypothermic kids either. So you have to kind of <laughs> wait till the middle of the day, give them a half hour, and then run as fast as you can warm up, break them in. But um, yeah, so hopefully we'll get a few more hours stretched outside because even just getting to the garden and back in or out for a walk around the road, like, it definitely breaks up the cabin fever.
4: Absolutely, absolutely. All right, Maureen, take care and look after the three of them. Uh, Maureen Sullivan, the Get Out Mummy on Instagram. I think she voices what a lot of people are feeling, the cabin fever. Uh, and you know what? It's 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 with all of us, Um Like so, one thing I noticed. I said this last week about sleep on the program. One thing I noticed, um, particularly when it's a nice morning, uh, I get up every morning at six o'clock. But on a Saturday morning, I normally set an alarm for maybe eight or half eight, and then I get up and I find something to do. Um, And you know, I could be doing a small bit out the back or just catching up on whatever. And I've noticed. Particularly since, since before Christmas, since this lockdown came in, say after Christmas, I just couldn't be bothered. So I wake at maybe half a quarter to nine on a Saturday morning, and the sun is shining in the window, and it's it's a nice morning, and I think right, I'm going to get out in that. Now there's something I can be doing out the back, or there's something I can be doing. And then I'm thinking, oh, for God's sake, what's the point? What's the point? That's cabin fever. Mag says I'm slowly but surely losing my mind. I'll never again take a quiet house for granted. Yeah. 185715996. Let us look at this uh, New Zealand situation. This is a Twitter thread by somebody called Pim. I cannot possibly pronounce the second name. But here it is. There was one COVID case yesterday here in New Zealand. This is from Saturday, I think. Not far north of Auckland. Auckland. The patient was a recent returnee from Europe, had finished her 14-day managed isolation period and was sent back home, but somehow presented symptoms five days after. How do I know this? Because yesterday at four o'clock, the New Zealand Government COVID Task Force held a press conference about this. A national press conference about one case. Since this positive test, the woman's husband has tested negative, All her close contacts have been identified and tested. All those who were in her hotel during the same period have been contacted for tests and told to self-isolate. The index patient has been scrupulously recording all of her movements. How? It's easy. We've all been doing it. There's a QR code everywhere that you scan on your phone, plus a Bluetooth capacity that does it automatically. So everyone who has recorded themselves going to the same places during the same time as this parent, patient, patient, have now been informed they may have been exposed. You can check on the COVID site to see a detailed listing of the movements since she left managed facilities. All of this from one COVID case in the community. DNA typing is underway to identify the exact strain of the virus to locate exactly where she acquired it. CCTV footage from during her isolation period is being investigated to find any potential failure in the system that allowed the case to get out. All of this from one COVID case in New Zealand. And I retweeted that little thread and I said, this, this is how it's done. My mom rang me uh, the other night, worried about a text message that she'd gotten. And it was just offering her tax back and said she was due a tax back to the tune of a couple hundred quid. And a red flag went off in her head because she'd heard me talking about it uh, at some stage. And she rang me and I said, delete it. It's rubbish. So there are a lot of those. There's revenue stuff purporting to be and looking very like revenue. And bear in mind that there is actually an advertising campaign on at the moment by revenue that you may well be entitled to some tax back if you go and look through your, your records. But scammers have jumped on it because revenue will never tax you i never text you and tell you how much tax they owe you. And the, the, the bank stuff is always out there. But there's a new one, and quite a sinister one now, which involves people getting calls about COVID-19. Is it vaccines, uh, Councillor Ken O'Flynn? Morning. Uh,
9: good morning, PJ. How are you this morning? Uh, yeah, unfortunately, PJ, I got a number of telephone calls last night uh, from constituents of mine, actually... More so, the children of constituents of mine will say that their mum and dad were in their sixties, seventies, eighties—that kind of age group. Um, it seemed to be targeted on the o two one telephone number group rather than an o eight seven or an o eight six. And the calls were coming through to people saying, you know, we're calling from Tipperary Hospital, we're calling from uh, the Dublin Regional Hospital, we're calling from Trinity General, uh, none of the local hospitals, uh, but we have you down for a vaccine. And of course, people are saying, well, you know, I'm in the five mile, how do I get down and what's the procedure? And then, of course, they're breaking into, well, you know, if you want to pay a small fee, we'll have a, a nurse or a GP administer it in your home. Ah. So this is what's going on at the moment. I'm telling people this is a scam. This is not via the HSC. It's very well thought out. It's it's, it's a nasty, insidious plan to get people to. The How much of money, money are they
4: looking for? If you want to do uh,
9: eighty euros is what I was reported last night is that they were looking for a, an eighty euro um, call out charge. You know that was to be cover the doctor or nurse calling to, calling to you to administer the vaccine to you. Um, and look, thankfully, out of the three calls that I got last night, nobody had taken them up on it. But, you know, the unfortunate thing is somebody's going to take them up on it. Yeah. You know, and I know we have seen in the UK where somebody called to a house and administered uh, 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 an injection to an elderly person, yeah. claiming it was a vaccine. Salt and water. It, and it was salt water, yeah. Well, yeah. thankfully, it was only salt water, you know. Um, but that's the reality. I'm just ringing people, telling people, alerting people, ensuring that they know that these are scams that are going around. Uh, talking to some uh, Iguardi, uh, members of the Gardaí this morning, I was told by one guard that there is a bank of telephone numbers that are out there that they know if they scammed you in the past via one of these revenue or Bank of Ireland or AIB calls that we all seem to be getting or we all seem to be getting a text from. every now and again, yeah. that you are on a record, you're on, you're on a black list somewhere sold in the black web and that your telephone number is available to them, you know? Yeah. So, look, I'm asking people to be very cautious of any telephone number that's... By the way, it's coming in from a Dublin number, what seems to be a Dublin number. I mm-hmm. would imagine if you probably track that number and get it tracked back, it's probably coming from somewhere in, in Africa or somewhere in Asia or, you yeah. know, it's been, it's been back-channeled and, th- and three or four countries being routed before it actually
4: hits Ireland, you know? Mm-hmm. But it, yeah. looks, it looks like a telephone number coming from, from an office in Dublin. Yeah, we've, 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 had, um, we've, we've had Graham on her here on from be secure online.ie, and he's gone through and Liam Brady the private investigator who've gone through the ways that these things are set up and it yeah. is just incredibly professional oh, and
9: it, look it's a business it's a business like any other business yeah. except it's
4: they'll ring it's you from your best friend's number yeah yeah
9: yeah, pretty much, pretty much. But look, they'll 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 ensure that they have as much information about you as they can possibly have, um, wherever they're getting the information from. Information is readily sold on the black market about people because we've filled out X amount of surveys, and you just don't know where things go at the end of the day. Uh, but look, all I'm saying to you, Peter, is asking people to be very vigilant. Mm-hmm. If you do get a call telling you that you're entitled to a vaccine and you have to travel for it to a, a, a faraway hospital, mm-hmm. not something that's local to you in Cork, I'd be very, very suspicious. And, of and it. But but this, you don't suspicious. have to go to Claneil. We'll come out. to you for eighty no. quid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And
4: yeah. And don't give out a credit card or a debit card details, please. Okay. Peter. Thanks very much, Ken. God bless too, Appreciate God. That. that. Thank you. That's Independent Councillor Ken O'Flynn. I've heard of this. People get so what are you getting a phone call? Looks like a Dublin number. Says hi, this is the HSE Chrome COVID 19 vaccine rollout scheme, whatever. Um, your name has been booked for a vaccine and you have to go to say Cashel Hospital or Clonmel Hospital or whatever. And you said, Well, I can't really, can I? Because it's uh, five kilometers. I said, That's okay for 80 euro. We'll come to your house and somebody will, um, somebody will. Be caught by it. There's a few scams going on. Uh, the other that, that tax back one is is happening definitely. Uh, my, my mother got was told in a, in a message that she was owed three hundred and fifty something tax, and she could contact this link and etc. etc. I just told her delete it. It's rubbish. Other people are saying that your bank owes you fees, and if you give your details. They'll pay you your fee they won't. They'll clean out your bank account. And now that's going around at the moment as well. And the COVID test, where they ring you and they say you're due a COVID test, but it's up the country. However, for 80 quid, they'll come to your house. And you're probably sitting there going, only a complete idiot would get caught like that. Trust me, it doesn't work that way. They catch hundreds of people. And they catch them all the time. 1850 Thinking of someone that we have spoken to many times on the programme and hopefully will speak to many times again, and that is Vicky Phelan. Today is a very big day for Vicky Phelan. Uh, she starts a new round of treatment in the United States. She has moved over there for a period of months, I think, at least months anyway, uh, in a new... a a new medication regime for the uh, cervical cancer that she has, the terminal cancer that she has, which she's to accepted onto a testing program. And she'll know, she was treating yesterday or the day before, she'll know in a week or two whether it's working. And if it does, then it could stabilize her again for a couple of years. And we hope to goodness that it works out for a wonderful, wonderful person that is Vicky Phelan 1850 715996 HSE Chief Paul Reed, according to independent.ie is now saying that testing I think this was in the news as well testing of close contacts could resume in a few days there's a thing this just came up in conversation over the weekend for weeks they stopped testing close contacts so they would call you And they would say you're a close contact. Now, previous to Christmas, you'd have to go and get a test and you'd be tested and whenever you wait for it. But because the daily cases got so high, they stopped doing that. They just got overwhelmed. So, is it not the case that there could well be hundreds of people out there who were close contacts? who weren't tested, and who could have been asymptomatic cases. I remember at one stage we were having 7,000 and 6,000 and 5,000 cases a day. And if each one of those people had two or three close contacts, that's 15,000, 20,000, whatever, who weren't being tested. So if even a percentage of those were asymptomatic, we're in trouble. Now, we only go by the official figures, and they are what they are on the hub, but that's well worth thinking about. Like, the figures, how accurate are they really when we had that couple of weeks where close contacts were not being tested? Just listening, Puget, to the talk about the scam calls. About two minutes ago, I got a call from a 0049 number regarding Amazon Prime Renewal. That's another scam during the rounds, and this is the second time I got it. Thanks for that. The program edited today by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Podcast in the afternoon. If you've missed anything this morning, you'll catch it mid-afternoon. And we shall see you tomorrow just after nine.
13: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
0: Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week.